This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Aloe Recovery. Located in sunny Southern California, in Silver Lake, in Malibu, Aloe was created by our good friend Bob Forrest and his friends Evan, Jared, and Bob to create a place where addicts and alcoholics are treated with compassion and connection rather than control. Their primary purpose is to make sure an addict or an alcoholic is treated like a human being, which is amazing. I have a bunch of friends who have been there, and they all agree that Aloe really did treat them nicely. They have amenities you wouldn't believe. They have surfing, sound bath meditation, equine therapy, sweat lodge. They uh, make sure that your detox is as comfortable as possible, which is critical, obviously, when you're kicking anything. And they have years and years and decades and decades of experience when treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness. So if you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, I strongly suggest going to Aloe. The following ad contains nicotine and is intended for listeners age 21 and older. Attention cigarette smokers, are you looking for an alternative to smoking tobacco? Have you ever considered switching to vapes? Are you a vapor? Do you want to save 50% off your vaping with Dopey and Daddy's Vapor? Well, this is your opportunity. Many cigarette smokers have made the switch to vaping because of the flavors and nicotine strengths available starting at zero nicotine. And their brand of choice is Twist E-Liquids. Twist is an American-owned company that makes its delicious e-liquids in Los Angeles, California. Twist has won several awards for creating mouth-watering flavors, such as its best-selling lemonade, sweet treats, and dessert flavors. But Twist also produces a line of sweet tobacco flavors. Try Twist e-liquids today and get 50% off 
That's fucking half price off your first purchase with Dopey 50. That's D-O-P-E-Y 50. Sold exclusively at daddysvapor.com. Again, half price, all vapes with Dopey 50 at daddysvapor.com. Try Twist today and make the switch. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our good friends at Brainwashed Coffee Company. Brainwashed Coffee Company is an amazing coffee company. The coffee is really, really great, but they are so much better than that because they give half of their profits, that's 50% of their profits away, to people uh, in addiction recovery. And they actually set up a contest for the people in the Dopey Nation to send in your best Dopey story, make it Dopey, make it funny, make it under three minutes, and you can win a pound of brainwashed coffee. So send in a crazy Dopey story to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Check out Brainwashed Coffee Company at brainwashedcoffeecompany.com. Order coffee from them using the Dopey code DOPEY20 and save 20%. We all know how crucial coffee is to good recovery. We love to drink it one cup at a time. We love to enjoy it. Brainwashedcoffeecompany.com. Brainwashedcoffeeco.com. Brainwashedcoffeeco.com. Have you been brainwashed? Get this coffee at brainwashedcoffeeco.com. Use the dopey code 20 to save 20%. Dopey 20 to save 20%. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at Soberlink. Soberlink's remote recovery technology empowers people in the fight against alcohol addiction. Studies show that monitoring and early recovery can help to improve outcomes for sobriety. With Soberlink, you can stay connected remotely to family and friends, treatment professionals, recovery coaches, those types of people. What Soberlink does is it is a device that lets you breathe into it and it tests your alcohol level. Those results go to either a professional team that you might be accountable to, your family, your partner, your parents. It lets you show accountability. It lets trust be built. It is trusted by over 500 treatment centers. Over 150,000 people have used Soberlink since 2011. 40 million plus alcohol monitoring tests have been received. And if you want a Soberlink device and you mention Dopey, you get 50 bucks off your Soberlink device. 50 bucks is nothing to sneeze at. Get your 50 bucks by emailing Soberlink at info at Soberlink.com. That's info at Soberlink.com. Mention Dopey and get 50 bucks taken off your device. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you most importantly by listeners like you uh, in the Dopey Nation through Patreon. Um, If you love Dopey, and you get a lot out of it, I would love it if you contributed to the Dopey Patreon. The Dopey Patreon could conceivably get more Dopey out in the world, so please help out. Kick a few bucks into Dopey Patreon. There's a ton of material on there. Check it out at www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. This is what I want to do with my life, and I would love it if you could help me achieve that. Again, www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. There's a ton of of cool stuff there. There is also a ton of cool merchandise available at dopeypodcast.com. Really, really, really beautiful stuff. I've been wearing my Dopey Scully uh, hoodie, which is my favorite one, but there's a ton of good stuff on there. Long sleeves, Dopey coffee cups, you name it, we got it. I'm out of the Dopey beanies finally. 
So hopefully new dopey beanies will arrive eventually. I still have dopey snapbacks. I still have a few Oyve snapbacks. Next week, I'm going to get a blue and orange dopey snapback, just 12 of them. And I'm getting 11 blue and red snapbacks because one of them is already uh, for Hot Wheels because he won it in the dopey Patreon Zoom. Also, I appear on my friend John Takeoff's new podcast. It's called Better Than Kanye. We talk about music. He has a ton of really cool music on there. It's called Better Than Kanye, where podcasts are available. I owe John a lot, so check him out. But more importantly, this Sunday in the Dopey Nation Zoom is the Dopey Birds. Mike Popham speaking, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Check it out. Enough with the fucking ads. Check out the show. Here is the show. Brainwashed coffee. Brainwashed coffee. Dopey code 20. Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I'm Dave, and I'm here on Zoom and the phone with my very good friend, Mr. Ray Brown. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Dave. How are you feeling? I'm good. Surviving the snowstorm. Now, Ray, do you get excited about stuff? Sure, of course. So what is coming up that you're excited about? Is there anything coming up that you're excited about? Um, the end of COVID. <laughs> the end of COVID. I mean, when do you see that coming though? Is that really well, coming? I was talking to a friend of mine about a band that we like and they're playing Bowery Ballroom on July 16th and 17th. And I'm like, is that happening? Who? I'm not sure. And they're called the format. So you're excited for July 16th. That's not going to happen. That's uh, not going to happen. Like they, they were scheduled for March 20th, 2020. And, that got canceled March 20th and 21st and rescheduled for July. I'm sure they thought, of course it'll be fine by then, but I don't think so. You know what I'm excited for? What? On Amazon Prime, coming in March, Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall in Coming to America 2. No, it really? Looks, it looks so good. <laughs> I watched the preview and I was like, there is a God. My higher power is up in the sky. <laughs> and it, it looks so comforting and sweet. I'm like, and then I decided like I was going to show Nora the, the preview to uh, Coming to America, the first one. And she's like, Daddy, what is this? But then by the <laughs> end of it, she's like, I want to see it. So like, I'm excited. I don't, I've never seen it. You never saw Coming to America? No. Oh, it's no. A classic. <laughs> you never saw the Blues Brothers before, before I told you to see it. No, I saw it recently. Amazing. Do you want to hear a quick dopey email before we start? Yeah, let's hear it. Okay. It's a criticism of the gear. He wrote, it's, a, it's, from, a, it's from a guy who calls himself Huevo. Do you know it? I like, the, I like the board gear. Huh? Of like the gear we're using? No, no, the gear, like the dopey merchandise. Oh, oh, okay. Do you know what a huevo is in Spanish, yeah, Mr.? What is it? An egg. Yes, that's good. He calls himself huevo, and he says, yeah. hey well, Huevo means, it means balls. That's what that means. No, no, he, his name is huevo. Oh, okay. Uh, and, and cojones 
Is oh huevos or cojones is balls. They both mean balls. All right, here we go. Hey yo, you fucking junkies should put the word podcast on your merch so people on the street will Google it when they see it rather than asking me what dopey is. You do not want me explaining what dopey is if you're thinking of making a living off of it. Otherwise, they'll just think it's a brand, a band or some kind of off-brand skateboarding label you can buy at Kmart. It's not like this crap hoodie I'm wearing was handmade by Banksy in the secret underground London studio, and I'm wearing it for its artistic value. What do you think about that, Ray? This guy is a genius. I never thought of that. Of course. People don't know what dopey is. They see it when you're walking down the street, and they're like, dopey, I'm not going to... Look what that up. I'm not going to look that up, but Dopey Podcast, I'll look that up. See, this was a fight that me and Chris had back in the day. This was, a, a, this was an issue that we had from the very beginning. Chris, I think, thought it should say Dopey Podcast, or we argued about it. We discussed it, and we decided Dopey Podcast just sounded so nerdy, and Dopey was so mysterious and cool. Dope, yeah, Dopey is so much cooler, but this guy is right. Because if it, it could say dopey, big letters, and then podcast, and I've, then people would know what it is. We've tried numerous designs that say podcast, and they're just not as good with the podcast. No, it's not as good, but it makes sense. But I would like people to think it's some mysterious skating company. But if you Google dopey, you do not get dopey podcasts. No, but if you do if you if you Google Dopey, one of the things that pops up is Dopey Podcast and Dopey Nation. Thing. Hold up, Dopey yeah. Nation. What do you guys think? Send in an email to dopeypodcast at gmail dot com and let us know. And something we discussed on the Patreon show that never made it to the show is um, we need a flag for the Dopey Nation. A Dopey Nation flag. So I'm calling to all the designers in the Dopey Nation, Misty and Butchie and fucking James and fucking Stephanie and Wusta and everybody out there. Anybody I forgot, Nick and Dickie. There's a million designers in the Dopey Nation. I forgot you. Please forgive me. We need a flag. We need a, a, a great Dopey flag. So please design us a flag. It could say it could be the Dopey or for the t-shirt, it could be the dopey flag on one side. And then on the back, it could say dopey podcast. Or it could say dopey nation or dopey nation. And then people Google dopey nation and they still don't know what it is. Yeah. It's still, it's like, it's so cool just to say dopey, but then it makes more sense to say dopey nation. I believe Are we logical is the dopey nation logical. <laughs> I believe that the dopey brand could be bigger than the podcast, bigger than obey, Bigger than Supreme. Bigger than Supreme. Dopey. It's a movement. Yeah. It's don't a culture. Dilute it. It's a podcast. You know? You don't know what dopey is? You dope? Like it's dopey podcast. Everyone knows that. And then our next guest is actually a graphic designer who maybe he will come up with a flag for the dopey nation. Oh yeah. And maybe. he he's in Los Angeles and um he used to do graffiti. And he actually sponsors like a graffiti guy out in L.A. And I'm pricing dopey murals in L.A. Oh, shit. What do you think about that? That's good. How much would you pay, Ray, for a dopey mural in L.A.? That's a rhyme. That's like a lyric. I have no idea. I know that like that Sunset Strip for like the in the 70s with the rock bands, like to get your billboard on Sunset Strip was a big deal. I'm sure it still is. 
But it wouldn't be a billboard. That's something that else. I know, but no, like on a bill, like in Bushwick, you could sponsor one in Bushwick too. How much would it cost in Bushwick? I I have no idea. I don't know that world. I want a mural, a dopey mural, uh, dopey nation. If any of you are muralists with the free wall in some small town, backwater town in the U.S., Australia, Ireland, I would love a dopey mural someplace. So uh, put your heads together. And our guest, again, is a graphic designer. He's also a podcaster from Los Angeles. He is on the Dopey Rival show, It's All Bad. Have you heard of that show, Ray, It's All Bad? I learned about it today. Yes. His name is Russian Danny. They had me on their show, and uh, I wanted to uh, extend the olive branch to support Russian Danny. He's got crazy, dopey shit. Yeah, I, I looked at it a bit today. They have some wild stories. Indeed they do. And here he is, Mr. Russian Danny. So, very exciting. We have one of our brother podcasters. He's a legendary Russian Danny from It's All Bad. Welcome to the show. Dude, thanks for having me. Now, it's it's a pleasure. And Russian Danny works at Aloe and was Mm -hmm. close with our good friend DJ. And uh, DJ was like, yo, this Russian Danny guy, some crazy stories. You should have him on the show. And then you guys had me on It's All Bad. And I was always like, eventually I'll, get, I'll, I'll, I'll figure out a way to get you on. And we got you on. And I'm very excited to have you on. So welcome, welcome Dude, to Dolby. I'm so stoked. Yeah, I'm stoked to be here. Well, it's, it's fun to have. Uh, first of all, I need to clear the air. And I don't know if you can answer this question or not. And, and I do not want to sound like a jerk, but I probably will. I'm going to tell you a story, and you're going to have to give me your best take on it. Because I have to start with it, or else it's just going to be in my head, and I'm not going to be able to get okay. past it. Let's okay. Hear it. Okay. So check it out. I have a friend named Aurora, who I've known for years and years and years. And she comes on the show here and there, and she lives in L.A. And she's like, Dave, I want to help you get guests for the show. And I'm like, great. And she goes, I met this dude named Keith. And I think he'd be great to come on Dopey. He's funny. He's got these crazy stories, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, whatever. And, uh, and, and Keith calls me and leaves me this message. And uh, it turns out it's Keith, you know, one of the creators of It's All Bad. But it was before It's All Bad ever got created. And I th- uh-huh. I'm not sure if I ever got back with Keith or not because, I don't know, I think I was pretty in my head self-centered thinking how big Dopey was and this and that. And I've got mental problems, obviously. But is it possible that Keith stole Dopey and created It's All Bad from Dopey? Is that possible? All right, I'll tell you, I'll give you the backstory on It's All Bad. So basically, so Keith and I would always be, you know, we'd be like, it would be after a meeting and we'd be talking and he was, you know, like, like we just love stories, you know, we love people's <laughs> stories, we love, what, you know, like, we love to hear it. And he's like, dude, he's like, we got the best fucking stories. Like, motherfuckers don't have stories like we have, you know? And he's like, he's like, I've been wanting to do this thing, you know, I've been wanting to do a podcast for years. So we started It's All Bad, like, I think we recorded for a year and a half with, we had another co-host originally and we were like, we want to get a year. I don't know where this crazy idea came from. We're like, we're going to do a year of podcasts. Uh, we're going to do a year of podcasts before we post anything. So we have like a year backlog, which is insane. You know, like looking back at it, it was like the, you know, and about a year into it when we were like, all right, cool. We're good to go. One of the hosts, his, uh, his agent was like, Hey, I don't think you should be like involved with this, like, like airing all your fucking stuff, you know, like you have like this career and you have this life and you're talking about like stealing from fucking 
from Screech from Saved by the Bell, you know, like he was he was Screech's, he was the Saved by the Bell PA, and he like stole per diem from, or he stole like petty cash from from Saved by the Bell for when he was supposed to get a pizza for Screech's birthday. So we had to go ahead and re-record everything that we had, you know. So I don't know timing wise, but I'll definitely say that we're, we didn't steal, you know, we didn't want to steal your idea. If anything, it's like we're paying homage to dopey no that's just me listen i have problems i'm a sick person i think that dopey is the center of the universe we are the great sun in the middle of the of the fucking you know the the recovery podcast universe but i i i have mental problems and i i and and then fucking fucking keith goes on marin's podcast and marin act marin been on dopey and he says to Keith, I've never heard of a podcast like this. And he had been on Dopey. And I'm like screaming at the fucking radio. I'm like, ah. And my friend writes me. He's like, I can't believe Marin dissed you guys like that. And I'm just like, ah. And, uh, and then I write Marin. And I said to Marin, uh, I said, dude, you, you had this dude on and you don't mention Dopey. I was like, they stole our podcast. And he goes, dude, you stole my podcast. You know, so basically <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy to have you on the show. And I, and I, I've listened to It's All Bad. I've been on It's All Bad. I think the Dopey Nation will love It's All Bad. It's some pirate fucking shit, uh, crazy stuff. And why did you just tell the audience why you called it It's All Bad in the first place? So we called it It's All Bad because, like, you know, you'll, like, you'll have, you know, you'll hear about a friend where, like, uh, you know, like, they'll go, they'll go off the deep end or, you know, they got a little time and then they relapse and then they, you know, and it's like, oh, fuck, did you hear about Mark? He went, he fucking, you know, did a, did a goofball and stole the fucking baby that he was supposed to be babysitting and went and tried to trade it for crack, you know, like down at fucking down on Skid Row. And we'd be like, fuck, it's all bad, you know? Like, <laughs> yes, yes, I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, like, we also, we share, I mean, like, listen, the idea that, that Dopey was something original is just not possible because Dopey came from exactly the same place, which was just us fucking around telling these stories. And if you find any two addicts anywhere, they're going to be doing It's All Bad and Dopey together. And that's why oh, like, yeah. it means something. And that's why it's fun. You know, and um, and I think, you know, like uh, it's interesting, though, the way people do people give you guys shit about it like that. You're just like on the wrong side of this thing. And obviously when Chris died, like everything changed with Dopey because it kind of had to. But like are people giving you guys shit about being like in the really kind of dangerous world of it? Oh, yeah. I mean, we've gotten shit from people being like you can't talk about that. That's the statute of limitations. I mean, we've gotten shit where we had a guest come on, you know, one of our favorite guests, like the, a dude that we're all still rooting for, you know, that uh, Lawrence who came on and talked about jacking off for 72 hours straight when he's on a meth run, you know, and he relapsed shortly after we posted the episode. And I literally had people blowing me up being like, you're the reason that Lawrence relapsed, you know, like you brought him on your show. He was too new. Like he only had six months when he came on there, you know, and it was this whole thing where it was like, dude, we like a podcast doesn't have the, you know, this like a podcast doesn't have the power to make anybody fucking relapse, you know, like that's not how addiction or alcoholism works, you know, but yeah, we've, we've heard it all, you know? And then also it's like, the cool thing about, I think what we do is, is like, we get to tell these stories that would only be heard if you were in a meeting, you know, like if you were at a meeting, you would hear this stuff, you know, and 
we get to lift some of the stigma up from this thing and we get to put, you know, put it out there and let people know that like, even though we've lived these lives and we've been these people and all this shit has fucking happened, it's not us today. And it's a fucking miracle that we're able to sit in front of an iPad and a computer and have a phone and a microphone and do this fucking thing, you know, on opposite coasts. It's, you know? it's amazing. It's amazing that you're working in the treatment facility that, you know, saved Don's life, basically, that, that sponsors Dopey, uh, Russian Danny works at Aloe, and I'm, I'm sitting in my family's house that I, that I, the only reason I get to have it is because I saved my own life, and, like, it's just, it's, it's amazing to me, um, that we get to do it at all. And it's like, I remember I was talking with Chris years ago about laughing the survivors laugh. You know what I mean? So like when we, when we tell a story like that, it's like, thank God it didn't happen to me. And thank God I made it through. And that's kind of like what makes it funny in a way. And like people who get it, get it. You know what I mean? And people who don't, there's nothing you can do about it. You know what I mean? And it's like, and and we, I don't know. I, I think that there's some intrinsic value uh, if you put yourself in the shit that you put yourself in or I put myself in, like to be able to tell the story, you know, like there is it's like you it's like you journeyed to the fucking temple of doom and this is what you came out with the story. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's that's the the prize and, and 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 the fact that we get to share it and you're sober. I mean, the amount of service that I hear that you're doing is off the charts. So first of all, when did you start using so I started using, I mean, you know, like I, so I moved here from the Soviet Union when I was seven, you know, hence the name Russian Danny, you know, and, uh, and I never fit in. I was like the kind of kid that like, you know, like I got like hand me down clothes, you know, the first summer I was here, I needed a pair of shorts and I was like, mom, I need, I didn't have any shorts. And she got me these like bright orange cargo fucking cargo shorts that were like shants you know they like came down to my ankles and this is the 90s like this is like you know and i was a kid like it wasn't cool like you know icp wasn't out yet like that wasn't the fucking hip shit to wear (laughs) you know right and those are the only shorts i had and it was like i just didn't you know i i didn't fit in i couldn't like figure i couldn't crack the code like you know you people will say like i didn't get a guideline for living or i didn't get like the guidebook whatever you know however the fuck that saying goes like i got it but it was in a fucking language that i couldn't like read or write you know the russian the russian guide like for growing person, up yeah. in los angeles yeah, yeah. it's got to have been like the cyrillic guide to los angeles hipster culture which, yeah. which now would be very useful because cyrillic shit oh, yeah. is very hip now but back in 1992 it was not the same thing right yeah oh yeah it was not it was not that cool and uh and my sister who wasn't my sister at the time who was like just a family friend that's a whole another story she got a, She saw me hanging out. Like I kind of got into it with these like Russian thug kids that were like my my friends' older siblings. Like they would go and they would like they were like I don't know if they were like the Russian mafia or whatever they were, you know. But they saw us and we were these kids that like liked vandalizing stuff, you know. And they got us these like little mini Adidas tracksuits and they were like, all right, like and they gave us spray cans and they were like, hey, go and tag on stuff, you know. And like they would like we would go and they started a little crew slash gang for us called RGB. Which stood for Russian gangbangers. You, they, know? you were, we were like, like you were like their little league team, basically. Yeah, we were like exactly, That's awesome. exactly. Right. It's like <laughs> exactly. training you to be like nefarious Russian gangsters in the beginning, like the, yeah. the the start. And 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 you you're like a classic stoner from the beginning, like I was. Right, that was your beginning oh, yeah. was Bud. 
Oh yeah. Well, my sister saw all this happening and she was working at this like little vegan restaurant in Westwood and she took her first paycheck and she was like, this is really bad. Like this is not going to end well for you. And she got me like a bag of weed and a skateboard with her first paycheck, you know? And it was like the second I, I don't know how, I don't remember even how we like, I think we like rolled it up and like, like she didn't tell me how to do it. She was like, figure this out, you know? And I think we like got a page out of the yellow pages and like, try to break up the weeds, you know, like with the stems and fucking seeds still in it. And there was like, you know, like holes poking out of the fucking yellow pages fucking joint that we rolled. But when I lit it, it was like that tracksuit and the fucking that like lifestyle, like just fucking magically disappeared. And I, for the first time ever, I felt okay. And I was like, whoa, I might actually have a chance, you know? It's so funny. It's like, uh, isn't it funny like how that works and how you know THC like all this sort of like uh harm reduction stuff you know what i mean like where people are like getting well through the magic of THC and like you know junkies are living better lives and and and, and but it's like I, I i smoked weed to get high and it's like i've got no judgment but it's just like if you had maybe if you had started not with weed one day weed could have been the thing that saved you whereas it saved you from yourself in the first place which i think is so oh yeah it's just fascinating the way this thing works oh yeah um so Dude, keep going really I want, cool. I want, so so you 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 find bud you find your stoner identity Oh yeah, I found my stoner identity. I found my people, you know, and we just, you know, and we just like it just became a part of my life, you know. It just became of like I remember my friend Rocco had this like little pipe that I don't know where it was like a bunch of like plumbing stuff that was like glued together with epoxy, you know. And he gave me this little pipe, and he was like, "Dude, check it out!" And then like we get that was our first pipe, and we found there was this like a Japanese like uh, there was like this Japanese reggae store on Melrose, like this Rasta Japanese store called Selecta, and they used to sell pipes to kids, you know. Like they were like super with the business, you know. And they just all be chilling, listening to like dance hall, you know. And uh, and we would come in there and buy little pipes and hang out. And just became like you know like it became my identity became who i was i remember when i when i was in uh first time i like really went to hardcore treatment like uh i had to write a goodbye letter to heroin kind of thing and the mm-hmm. whole letter was basically how could you take me away from my first love weed heroin such a slut and weed was such a good girlfriend how could you do that to me do you ever like regret like the fact that you ever got out of your stoner place because you obviously went down a million i mean you wouldn't be on it's all bad if you just stayed a a dance hall loving skateboarding stoner right yeah (laughs) you know i you know it's something it's funny that you asked that because i always had i had this idea you know like this is not my first sobriety day you know and i like i went into detox i think for the first time when i was like 25 i was like going to meetings and i always had this thing in the back of my mind and like we had like medical marijuana here for years you know so i like i I played the thing like the tape through i was like well i have this letter it's from a doctor this never did anything for me like this is okay this is not my problem you know and i would i used to show up to meetings with fucking ganja on me you know and people would be like dude do you smell that do you smell like you that smells like some some buds you know and i would look around and be like can't believe some asshole would fucking bring (laughs) weed into a meeting of narcotics anonymous you know like and i'm that asshole you know and um and then my mom, like, you know, I remember her picking me up from detox and being like, so you're not going to smoke weed. And I'd be like, mom, what are you talking about? Weed was never the problem, you know? And like, 
I, you know, it's, I, I like, I wish I could say that like, cause I love that shit. You know, I was the kind of like, you know, I was the kind of stoner like through and through like the last day before I went into treatment this time around. I like, you know, I was like, I, I you, like you really used to wrote that goodbye letter, you know, like I had to say goodbye to my weed. I remember giving all my bongs away before I went into treatment and being like, all right, here, take this. And like passing on this, this roar bong that I had that was like gifted to me that at some point was like $1,500 to like, you know, like just giving all my stuff away and passing it on and like, you know, so I don't think that like, I, there's no confusion that I can't do it, but I fucking sure as hell do miss it, you know? You fought it. I mean, like, isn't it, but like you work in treatment, you work in, mm-hmm. in this world. Isn't it crazy? For, I don't know if crazy is the right word, but isn't it fascinating the fight for recovery through cannabis and like the harm reduction through cannabis and then like somebody like you or I, it's very weird for me. And it's not a judgmental thing. It just, it blows my mind that like, I, I mean, I remember my first, I mean, I, I would bring weed to treatment. I, I remember I, I got to, I, I got into a program at uh, Presbyterian Hospital in Upper Manhattan to be in the uh whatchamacallit, like the trials of uh, when they inject you with the blocker, the naloxone trials. And, uh-huh. I, and I brought a bunch of bud with me to the trial, and I hit it, and they didn't care, and I was smoking weed in the hospital. And I would always try to bring weed to treatment, and I, I was never ready to give it up. As somebody who works in this world, like how do you deal with, with uh, weed as recovery? Before we get into the good, horrible things you did. I'm just curious. Yeah. Man, you know, it's so hard to say where it's like, because I, I'm a firm believer in harm reduction, you know, like I'm a firm believer, like I volunteer at a, you know, at our local like needle exchange to this day, you know, like right before COVID I was there, you know, I do like fucking Narcan trainings, you know, like I just didn't, you know, like I do all that. And I, so I firmly believe in harm reduction. It's, you know, I mean, there's a, we had a treatment center out here called high sobriety, you know, and it was like, I have a shirt. Uh, I, I met a dude that worked there, and they like did this run of T-shirts, you know. And dude, I'll I'll find a photo of it and I'll send it to you. And it's so funny. And it's like, it's like reasons why high sobriety works better than Alcoholics Anonymous. Like it's on the back of this shirt, you know. And I'm like, oh my god, you know, like it's unbelievable, it's crazy, right? It's unbelievable. Yeah. And I I feel like I believe the same thing. I believe in harm reduction, and I believe. I can't participate in in bud. I just can't because I when I smoke bud I get high, and when I smoke bud I can't just smoke bud once. You know what I mean? If I smoke bud, I want to smoke a bud every day and like maybe all day and whatever. But I think like it takes all kinds. And um, I we actually had somebody who got a scholarship went to a place out there and was like, no, we need to go to high sobriety. <laughs> they ran out of the treatment to go to high sobriety. Um, so, how did, so how did the addiction take hold past the bud? You know, it just started with like the party stuff, you know? So, okay, so there was these dudes, you know, like that I kind of grew up with and we started a graffiti crew called SND, which stood for still, back then it was like, uh, it, it, now it's like, it became like still not dead. And it's weird because most of the dudes that were in the graffiti crew are actually dead now, mm-hmm. you know? And like, but I'm, I got it tattooed on my leg and I'm like, this is going to be a really dumb tattoo when I die. But, you know, like, it's kind of like, it's turned into a thing that like pays on, like that remembers those that have fallen, you know? And, uh, still not but, uh, dead could be a good fucking recovery podcast name. Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah. yeah, that's fucked up because yeah, it's true. Whoever's listening, hey, now we're gonna have more fucking competition. It's all right. That's all right. <laughs> we, I welcome it. Um, and these dudes are like, uh, uh, oh, we, back then it was a search and destroy. That was like our, you know, it was like that. That was like the name of the crew. And all these dudes, they would go and like we would smoke weed, but then they really got into psychedelics and. Um, and like I remember them, like we tried, uh, we tried like you know acid, and we tried like whatever, whatever. I went to like we went to some rave at this place called the Master Dome, which was like a massive rave place, and we went to their last known rave there, and we took like we took uh, Blue Dolphin ecstasy and Blue Smurf acid, and then right as we were about to walk in, the place like shut down, like the fire marshal shut the whole rave down, so we had to like drive back to L.A. from I don't know, it seemed like it was like nine days away you know like somehow made it to this park and did this whole thing and then those dudes would like they kind of like dissed me and they would run off and they would go and like do like all these different psychedelics and do stuff on their own and i was like kind of hurt you know i was like dude like you guys are my homies and like we, we discovered this together like how could you do this without me you know and uh I like just maybe a few years ago, like found out, you know, that like that these dudes were going and they were like, they were going to like the, I, I, I call it the forest, but it's really just like a little hike, like up in, you know, like up in Hollywood, Runyon Canyon Park. And uh, they would go out there and they would like take psychedelics and like do weird sexual stuff with each other, you know, like fondle each other. And do Amazing. Stuff, you know, and these are like, these are like my tagger homies, you know. <laughs> they would hook up with each other. Yes. Amazing. And and yeah. did, did you still feel left out and you were like, dude, what the fuck? Or what happened? Yeah, I'm like, come on. Yeah, yeah. Take a look at me. I'm Russian Danny, for Christ's sake. Yeah, I thought I'm pretty handsome, you know? Apparently I didn't make the cut. That's crazy. So yeah. I, I remember I heard, I, I listened to a bit of your story on It's All Bad and like you wound up like, this, the the time you tried ecstasy, you were like took all your money and you were like fuck it, I'm investing. Basically, was it because oh, yeah. was it because of the feeling or was it because of the business? So it was the feeling, and it was also like I I saw guys like growing up that would like if you were the guy that had the stuff, you know, then people liked you. And for me, like uh, this was about you know as much as I loved the drugs, like I wanted to be liked, I wanted to have friends, I wanted you know I came here like not fitting in, not speaking the fucking language, not like being an outcast. And when I had the stuff, I had friends, you know, and like, and it was the thing where I was like, oh, as long as I have stuff on me and whatever the stuff was you know at first it was weed then it was hash then it was ecstasy then it was fucking dope then it was pills then it was meth then it was whatever it was it didn't coke at some point in there you know like i had a fridge full of sparks at one point you know i don't know if you remember sparks like the fucking like the the it was like a like a like a what uh What's that shit called? Uh, malt liquor with like 300 milligrams of caffeine per can. I had a fridge full of it. Like it didn't matter what it was. As long as I had something that would like make people like me, I wanted to have it. So for me, it was a big part of that too. Well, that's, I mean, that's like one of the easiest ways to be able to plug into the fellowship because it's like you can, you get the same thing like when it works and, and all of a sudden mm-hmm. you're helping people. But like, and I was I, I was like that too, but I was I think I was a little bit greedy. I think I I really liked the way the stuff made me feel, and it made me feel safe. 
and it like calmed mm. my neurosis down. And I don't remember being particularly giving when I had shit. You know what I mean? Mm. Like I maybe in the I no, I, I was never very giving with drugs. Um so I think that's good. I mean like I like that you were. Did that change? <laughs> like when you start when it shifts from fucking uh, weed, ecstasy, to the meth, to the coke, to the dope. Are you still like fucking just hooking it up for everybody? Well, dude, when you get to the point where like if I feel like I can't live without this, you know, and I'm gonna die. I can't, you know. It's no. like uh, maybe I'll give you a cotton, you know. But maybe I'll maybe I'll give you some of my old cottons. You know? Right, and then you're like, <laughs> have a cotton. It's on me. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, wait, 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 not that one. Not that's that. A good one. That's my good cotton. No, I hear you. Um, it's so funny how that is. And I, I, I mean, I also just love the ability to share that. Like, the fact that you're in a place where people are showing up, it's hard for them to even know that they felt like that. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. when did it hit you? And we're going out of order or whatever. I don't care. Yeah, when did I, I don't it, care. Oh, man. I also heard about this documentary. I don't want to fucking fast forward through the whole thing. I don't want, I don't want to blow this thing. I'm having a good time. Let me see where we're at. Where are we at here? Um, we're still early. We're good. Um, first time you do math is when? First time I did math, I was 15 years old. Um, I tried it because I had a friend um, whose mom was like a tweaker, you know? And, uh, and he was like, we were smoking weed and we were doing party drugs and whatever. And he was like, hey, I got this stuff that my mom has, you know, like... I mean, I could get us some of it, you know, and like, and we drove over to his house from the valley. I was like pretty big into tagging at the time. Maybe I was like 15, 16, you know, and we drove over and we did meth at his house. And then um, we stayed up for like 24 hours and we were driving back to do more. And the guy that was driving, like, went all, this kid, Eugene, you know, he like went all fast and the furious on us going over Laurel Canyon. And basically almost killed everybody in the car like where like he totaled the car completely they all ran off i ended up getting arrested because i like branched off i was all like in like full psychosis you know like was like i can't be with these guys i'm gonna go hide in someone's garage and those people were like dude there's somebody in our garage (laughs) in laurel canyon nonetheless and i ended up getting arrested you know whatever i got like i was arrested for the like not for stealing a car or anything or like i I obviously didn't drive it because the seatbelt thing was on like the wrong it was on like the the right side of my neck so the cop could see that i was a passenger but like that was a big red flag you know how soon did you realize like how much you liked the meth was it immediate Uh, like did you try it and we're just like i'm doing it oh yeah immediately i loved it the second i tried meth i knew i was in love i was like this is great you know i was tagging at the time and i would like sit there and draw stuff i had my little black book and it like made me so good it was so much better at what i did you know because it made you hyper-focused, it made you pay attention, like, what did it do for you? Oh, yeah, I mean, it made me, like, it took these little drawings that I would do, and, you know, and I would sit there for, like, 9 to 12 hours just, like, redoing it and really getting it dialed super in. I remember awesome, feeling like right? I was Superman, you know? I was like, I can do anything. I can do anything, you know? First but really, time- it was like, I could start anything but not finish it, you know? <laughs> Right, right. That would be the real hurdle with meth. The great superpower is if you can get so plugged in and finish it. That's when it becomes like a whole thing. The first time you did it, did you snort it or did you smoke it? Oh, we snorted it. Oh, yeah, we snorted it. And how long before you uh, you were using needles? Was it a while? Dude, so I had a friend 
my first friend, this dude, Mark, and I always like when I speak, I always mention him. You know, he was a dude. He was the first dude I knew that got sober. He was the first dude that I lost to this disease. He was from that crew. He was from our crew, still not dead, you know, and he was kind of like why we kept it going was to like, you know, to remember him. Um, I he I remember calling him like the first time I went and like cop dope. I'd already done meth and I was like doing pills and I was like working in Venice and I got a paycheck and I went out with some friends and we ate a bunch of pills and like we went to, to downtown and we picked up like balloons and we smoked all this heroin, you know, and I. And I called him and uh, I was like, dude, you're never going to believe what I did last night. I was like, I fucking, you know, it was like I was bragging about graduate, basically like like upgrading my active addiction, you know. And I was sure. like, I did this and that. Like I thought he was going to be proud of me. And this is a dude that's seven months sober. That's like my friend that just spent like two years in a wilderness program and is living in a different city because that's where his fucking addiction takes him to, you know. And he told me these, you know, he told me he was, he told me something and I'll never forget it. He was like, haven't you seen what this disease has done to me? And I'd never heard this. Like, I just thought Mark party a little harder than I did to the point where Samoans pulled him out of bed in the middle of the night and took him to fucking some camp in fucking Utah where he sat in a hole and like had to make a fire to cook a can of beans for two years. You know, like I just thought that he partied a little harder than I did. And he told me to promise him three things. He was like, promise me you're not going to do that again. And I was like, okay, sure, buddy. He was like, promise me you're not going to put a needle in your arm. And I said, okay. And he said, and if you ever want to get help, go to a meeting. And that was the last conversation I ever had with that dude because he got that idea that night where he was like, you know, I talked, whatever, you know, he went, he went to a concert and he smoked a little, you know, back to the weed thing. He smoked a little weed at the concert. You know, somebody gave him a bud. Another one of our friends that's now sober gave him a nug because he really just wanted to smoke a blunt or whatever. And he smoked it. And on the way home, he grabbed a bag and his sister found him the next morning. You know? Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. That's, that's totally the thing. I mean, that's the, the, the perfect cautionary tale to that story. Yeah. Um, and, ha- and like when he was in that uh, the teen training or whatever that what was that is that teen was that teen challenge is that what that was yeah teen challenge yeah whatever yeah uh huh um, he was sober as long as he was there and then as soon as he left was it over is that what happened with him oh yeah as soon as he left he relapsed like once and then he moved in with his sister and he was living in San Francisco and he had seven months at that point you know he had seven he relapsed for like one day moved in with his sister and was like doing well he was working at a fuck what's that uh rebel eight is that like this you know that like my the mike giant thing you know he was like working at rebel eight and he was like plugged in and was like doing meetings up there and was like doing aa and was like really about it you know or any i don't know what he was doing he was doing some fucking 12 step thing and he had that one night you know and him dying back to the needle thing was like him dying i made that promise to him you know and i didn't keep the two other things like you know i didn't i kept fucking that day when we had a little memorial for him we all went and we did dope but i didn't put a needle in my arm for he died when i was 19 i didn't put a needle in my arm until i was 27 wow so in in that period of time like at what point did you know that you were an addict and that you weren't partying too hard like, like, at what point did that occur to you? Oh, man. I mean, pre, you you know, it should have been, like, when we fucking totaled the car and, like, the cop was driving me back and was like, hey, if you were five feet to the left, your car would have pancaked dead, on right. the wall. If you were five feet to the right, you would have split on the pole and everybody should be dead. I literally see people die here every single weekend, you know? Um, 
I mean, is when the, all the times I got arrested, the times I got shot at, like doing graffiti in places where like white kids should not be, you know, in like really bad neighborhoods, you know, like those should have all been red flags. You know, I think the time when, when I realized was when like it was like, you know, like I remember my first I remember my first dope sick. I remember it like so well, you know, where it was like I'd smoked a little dope, you know, and it was it was different because I'd smoked it and I still was able to keep a job and I was still able to like do the stuff that I need to do, you know. Um, and uh, I was like, you know, so I was like, I thought that I was good, you know, I thought that I was like doing everything that I needed to do and I was being taken care of. And all of a sudden I. I remember like the day where I didn't do it, you know, like I did it for five or 10 days straight or something, you know, and I still had my little job. I was working in animation and then I tried to stop and I was like, wow, I think I got a cold, you know, and I like went and I got like whatever, you know, and like the cold stuff wasn't helping. And then like, I I like called a friend and I was like, dude, I got this cold and won't go away. He goes, how many, he goes, dude, you're fucking strung out. Like you're, you're dope sick. And I'm like, what? And I didn't even know that was a thing, you know? Like, how did you so not know? Crazy. But that's, that's interesting to me too. I mean, like, I'm, cause I, 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 you know, you, you were in graphic design, you worked, uh, with, I know you worked with edible companies and, and like when I was young, I got to work in TV and, and take drugs and feel really like I, I was doing well, you know what I mean? Like I was creative and I was getting shit done. And, uh, and I was one of these people that could do drugs, which is kind of like the way I imagine your youth was. You were like super creative, pretty successful, doing what you wanted, and you felt like you could do drugs. However, I knew that people got strung out on heroin. How could you not know that? I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know if it was just I was like so oblivious. To, I don't know. You know, I don't like it's crazy. It's crazy thing looking back at it, you know, where it was like. Like, like, I don't know. I don't even know what I was thinking, you know? And then, like, so I knew at that point where I was, like, because now it's, like, I got, it's Monday and I got to go to work and I can't go to work if I'm sick like this. So, obviously, I'm just going to do a little bit, you know? And then it's, like, now it's trying to keep it all under wraps. And I'm, you know, oh, man, that's where, like, the unmanageability comes with all of this, you know? I remember I would do it, like, once a week because I didn't want to get sick and I was scared of getting a habit. And then I got a better-paying job. And I was like, fuck it, I'm going to do this. Like, like, I remember, like, there was a thing in my head. I was like, I'm going to figure out how to do this. Like, and, 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 you know, be addicted to heroin. Like, because I knew that I would be sick if I stopped doing it. And I would just keep plugging all my money into it. Like, were you just in denial of the fact that you needed to keep it going? Or, like, what the fuck? Oh, yeah, I was definitely in denial. And then at some point, I remember after my first kick, I would, like... Cause I was, you know, I was like a big internet kid. Like I was kind of a nerd growing up, you know, like I kept it under wraps cause I didn't want people to know, but like, I was kind of a little nerd, you know, like I was a tech kid. I liked like, you know, like I, like I was like, always like had some cool like technology stuff. I used to like go on AOL chat rooms and talk about like hacking stuff when I was younger, you know? And, uh, and, um, I remember like looking up like, you know, like with like, you know, like I did like the home, like the home at home detox, which like I forgot what, you know, like uh, fuck, there was I, I used to like send it to people, you know, where it was like there was some do- like some doc- Dr. Thomas or like there was some doctor that had this whole thing on like how you do like an at home detox with like Klonopin and like a few other things, you know, and I think I maybe did it successfully once. And then I found another thing that was like some dude that was like how to successfully but I don't even remember the uh 
what's the uh what's the word for when you're like doing it but you're not getting strung out what's it called like how am i blanking on it right now you know what i'm talking about no like how to use successfully basically yeah yeah i don't know uh there's a word for it. It's not like skipping or it's like something fucking, it's like a cute little word, you know, it's like a cute little, you know? like it's like chipping, you know, chipping. chipping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. It's like how to chip successfully, you know? And he was like, so you do as much as you want for, um, I think 12 hours straight. And then you take 72 hours off, you know, it's, it's like eat a cake for breakfast and a cake for lunch <laughs> and have a healthy dinner and you'll lose weight. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, yeah. Oh man! I and so what was nineteen to twenty seven like, and what happened at twenty seven that you were like, "Fuck it," that made you break the promise? Nineteen to twenty seven was like you know a few detoxes here and there. You know, I. Uh, it's funny. I've never told this story on "It's All Bad," and I kind of like it was like it's all it's like my go to when I like speak and for like a long period of time. You know, and I was like whatever. I'm a, but I'm going to tell you so. The first meeting, I, I had a friend, and we would drive around, and we would look for uh, we would look for art galleries on like Friday and Saturday nights. You know, that would have like open bars. You know, and uh, we ended up at this bar in Silver Lake where we saw a bunch of people in Silver Lake, and they had styrofoam cups in their hand. You know, and uh, they were like smoking cigs, and they looked really cool. And we're like, oh hell yeah, art show! You know, and we pulled up. And we parked and we walked into this place and like the art in this room was particularly bad. There was like weird scrolls with writing on them and like weird calligraphy signs that said like easy does it and live and let live or live and let God, whatever, you know? And I was like, and I remember asking this dude and he had, he, they had like a handlebar mustache and he had a leather jacket with like the little, you know, like the little sleeves that have like the little hangy, like the little things that hang off. The fringe. It, you know, like one of those. Yes. The, the little fringe. Yeah. Yes. And uh, and I was like, hey man, I was like, I was like, where's the where's the alcohol in this place? You know, like where's the thing? And um, and he looked at me and he goes, brother, this is a meeting of Narcotics Anonymous. But we'll save a seat for you, you know? And I was like, oh, fuck. We better get out of here as quickly as possible, you know? We jumped in the car and drove off. And uh, when I, it's funny because a few years after, like when I, I remember I got in a car, another car accident and I looked up like me, you know, and I remember Mark when I came, what came to in the, in the ambulance, you know, like in those, you know, the 19 to 27, there was a year where I tried to get sober and me and my girlfriend got in a car accident. And uh, when I came to in the ambulance, um, I remember Mark telling me go to a meeting and I looked up meetings in the Silver Lake area and I ended up back in that same fucking room where that dude told me we'll save a seat for you, you know, and there was a fucking seat saved in there for me, you know, and it began like this thing where I knew that there was somewhere where I could go because there was people that I saw that got loaded the same way that I did and they were getting better, you know, and that was the fucked up part. When you when you went there, like after the car accident, did you see the dude with the fringe again? Was it brother? I've never seen that dude again. Yeah, I wonder what happened. I've there. never seen that. Fuck. Oh. But I, I remember him. I can close my eyes and I could like you know I picture him so well. You know. No, that's funny. Um, but like when you when you went there that time and you were like, I, I had something similar happen. But for me, it was like this seems to work for all these people. You know what I mean? Um, I just never wanted it to work for me. Like I was just so resistant 
to it when when you were there like and it never i always felt a part of it you know what i mean like i mean i don't mean a part of it i mean a part from it like i felt like i was not going to be welcome i felt like i was not going to be in it um whenever i went and i would always go high and i never wanted to get well um when you showed up and you kind of made that mental note did you feel like holy shit maybe i could have a place here or like what was the the feeling I definitely felt that, you know, I definitely felt like I like I made some friends in that in that room, you know, it was like this noon NA meeting that was like, we're like all the dudes that can't hold down a job and like can't don't really have anything to do in the afternoon and like can't wake up for a morning meeting like they all ended up there, you know, so I fit right in, you know, I was like, oh, this is cool. And, and I got some friends and I would put together like. I definitely knew that, that I would be there at some point. I just don't know if I wasn't ready or really, I just wasn't willing to do like, you know, the work. Like I wasn't really like, I would come in and I'd be like, yeah, like, oh, that fool, Keith, Keith Wager, he needs God, you know? And I'm like, oh yeah, Dave, he needs the fucking steps, you know? Like that's going to work for him. Oh yeah. And, uh, oh, that dude, you know? Oh yeah. He needs, yeah. Mark Marin, he needs the fucking sponsor. Like I got, I, I got this, you know? I, and like that I got this fucking mentality kept you know kept me got me into homelessness and into a lot more arrests and into a lot of other wild and wacky stuff you know so like yeah you were like i can do it when i'm ready and you would just go in and out you mean Uh and what was the the moment where you were like you you can't not break the promise to mark and you pick up the needle like what was that so it was, uh, you know, I, I, it's funny because, you know, we do this thing. I'll, I'll speak for me, but, you know, I think it's I see it in my in like guys that I sponsor and I see in people were like, well, you know, we set these like these these lines, you know, and it was like, oh, I'm not, not going to do that. And then I could like justify and rational like and rationalize any little thing where. So I had a girlfriend and she had this tattoo artist come over, this guy bandit that was like kind of scary and he was a cholo and uh and I'd heard about like when people do get shot up with meth that like the girls will like have an insta orgasm, you know, like right when they like right when it hits them, you know, and she was like, hey, like I knew she had done IV stuff, but she never did it around me. And then he came over and he was like, let's do a shot. And she was going to do a shot with him. And I was like, well, fuck that. If you're going to hit her, then you better do me, too. You know, and, I'm going to stand between her. you and, and making my my, <laughs> my girlfriend come from injecting her with meth. You're going to yeah, you're yeah. going to be the in between thing. I, I can respect. Yeah. That. yeah. Yeah, if anyone's going to be coming here around here, it's going to be me, brother. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I love that. Yeah, and so he hit her, he did a shot, and then he fucking went to hit me, and dude, the classic, he misses. Fat shot of meth, misses. My first shot, you know? And I still, I, I still remember the pain for me, you know? And I looked at him, and I was like, hey, I got plenty of veins to fucking blow out. Like, we're going to fucking hit one, you know? Yeah. And he hit it, and it was like that thing that I had promised Mark that I'd never put a needle in my arm was suddenly out the door, you know? And then I, the weird thing is, is like, I, oh, and the, the the big factor to it was this was right after my dad passed away. You know, when my dad passed away, that was like when all that stuff, like the, that like trying to present like I got it on the outside, like that all was gone, you know? Like it didn't matter anymore. Like I was fucking, you know, I was good with whatever. Did it, I mean, the second it hits you, do you forget why you didn't do it? Like, I mean, I was fearful about needles for a long time. I did it because I left a detox. I left a a 28-day program with some dude who was, like, 
you know, shooting dope all the time. And he was like, you're a fucking idiot. You're wasting your money. This is going to be so much better. And there was a girl there. And I think I wanted to impress the girl too. But like the second I did it, I knew I wasn't going to do it any other way again. You know what I mean? Like that was done. It's just, is that what happened with you? Oh yeah. Oh, immediately. Immediately. It was like, I did it. Well, the funny thing is, is like, I didn't start shooting dope right away. I just shot meth for a while, you know? And I was like, I'm just going to shoot meth and then I'm going to smoke heroin. I'm just going to shoot meth and then I'm going to smoke heroin. And then I was like, somebody was like, have you heard of a goofball? You know, it's like when you take a little bit of dope and you put it into the, the, you know, like you put it in the syringe with the, you're already shooting up. So then I started shooting goofballs, you know? And at first it was like 70% meth, 30% heroin. Then it was like 60% meth, 40% heroin. Then it was like... 10% mass, 90% heroin. I was like, hey, I, mean, I was like, might as well just start shooting fucking heroin. Like, what am I doing? That's crazy. Uh, I, I can, yeah, I can relate to that too. Like, I, I was trying to kick heroin in, in LA, and that's basically what happened to me is I, I started smoking meth, and then I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to shoot it. And then I found heroin, and I made, I made my own, the same exact goofball uh, ratios. Um, which is funny. Like, I didn't even know it was called a goofball. I just knew that I always wanted to shoot speedballs and I never had. And, and my friend had all this meth and I had all this dope. And I was, I, it was like Reese's Pieces in my head, like the Reese's peanut butter cup in my mind. But like, it's just so funny how stupid, like, like we can sit here with time. You, you know, both of us around recovery with dead friends, and still, like it's like that. We can be transported back to that crazy, stupid, innocent place. It's like it's remarkable. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's and like I wonder if it's good or bad. You know what I mean? I guess there's no sense in trying to put a judgment on it. Like like yeah. people with thirty years, do you, they, do they get all lit up? They do. They get all lit up when they talk about their idiot fucking youth and the dumb shit they did. They do. I had a dude oh, on. Yeah. I had a dude on Dopey. This guy who calls himself Smiling Joe from my meeting out here, and he was talking about like the '60s with the same sort of fervor, and he has thirty years clean. But it's just, it's it's. It's crazy. So, so you're shooting goofballs, and it turns into basically heroin addiction. Yeah, and it's, yeah, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that's when like <clears throat> that was when the whole thing like uh, it was crazy because like I was always like I was like I'm, I'm not going to be homeless, you know? I'm not going to be homeless. I'm not going to like you know like I'm not going to like I always had like a like a, a like you know and, and like I was homeless for years, you know, and I, it's funny because I like you know I, I was like living out of motels or I was like like you know like for a little while like staying on people's couches, but like I had a moment like where I was a uh, I would like my friend made a sweater uh, of this like gay bathhouse in downtown LA that doesn't exist anymore, and then I was like looking it up because I didn't know what the sweater was. It was just cool, and I'm wearing it, and I, like somebody complimented it, and I'm like maybe I should look up what this is, you know? And it was like an old gay bathhouse that doesn't exist, and I'm like oh whoa, and I saw another poster for another one that's like right by my grandma's house. And so I wanted to go like, and there was this place called uh, the Hollywood Spawn. They had a really cool poster. I like posted it on my Instagram, you know, because uh, I was just like cool, like old school gay LA, which like I, you know, like it was it was rad. And I stopped by there, and I'm looking at the building, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, wait, I think I've been here before, you know. And I was like, and I look, and I literally, and I totally fucking spaced on this that I lived on the staircase of that fucking Hollywood Spa for like. At least a month, I had like a whole little setup right there with like some other dudes. We had our little, you know, like there was like a little tattooer guy that like lived right there. And like I lived on a fucking staircase 
on the corner of Ivar and Hollywood for maybe a month, maybe more with that same girlfriend that I sought fucking meth with for that first time, you know, like, and in my head, I still try to be like, well, I wasn't ever homeless on the street. I wasn't, you know, like, and I just remember this. This is less than a week ago, you know? It's such a trip. Do you remember, like, the progression, like, when you gave up your place and when it became staying with friends and when you wound up there? Like, do you remember, like, that period? It's, you know, I, so I got, so I think where it all started was I did a lot of meth when I was, like, 15, 16. And then I turned, and then right when my little brother was born, I was, my mom was like, the only thing I want is for you to show up to the hospital. You know, the only thing I want is for you to be there when your brother's born. I know you're all fucked off and like, whatever, but like, please just show, just be there. Like be this one thing. And I was like, and it was like one of those things where I'm like, all right, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. And I remember showing up to Cedar sinai I was like hanging out at this house in the Valley and I showed up to Cedar sinai and I get there and my dad and my mom, I was like, Hey, what room is, you know, Elena Masenko in? And, uh, and they're like, she checked out three days ago or whatever, two days ago. And I was like, fuck, <laughs> I missed it, you know? And not only did I miss it, so when I saw my little brother, I was like, I guess he was born when I was 16. And I remember seeing him and how pure he was. I, like, made a promise to myself that I wouldn't do meth again, you know? And the crazy thing is, is, like, I didn't, I think I did it once in a period of 10 years, you know, until like right after the time my dad passed away. And then my dad passed away and I was smoking a lot of heroin and I was taking pills and I was still kind of partying, you know, like I had like, what are, you know, like obviously like there was, I went into detox twice, you know, like I did stuff, but when my dad passed away, the meth came back into the picture, like immediately, you know, it was like back on, like I ran into this dude that I knew from, from like graffiti that I hadn't seen in a few years. And we got really into meth. And then like, I started shooting up and like with that, it was like that whole thing of like me trying to keep it under wraps and me trying to like have, you know, like making sure that I always had a roof over my head and all this stuff. Like it kind of didn't matter anymore where the, the main thing, my primary purpose was to make sure that I was able to stay well and have more and get the better more that I could get, you know? And like, and the job no longer mattered. Like that edible company that I'd started and ran for years. Like I was like, fuck the edibles, fuck this. Like I just, you know, I was, I, I kind of admitted to myself that I was going to be a junkie. I was like, that I was going to be like a, you know, like a, I was probably going to die a junkie death and I was okay with it. And it didn't matter what the fuck had. Like, it didn't matter who it affected or what it did. Like, fuck it. I'm going to, like, this is how I'm going to go out, you so, know? So basically, most of your 20s you used successfully. And then when your yeah. dad died, like, all bets were off. And that's when you oh, made yeah. that decision that you were like, this isn't going to, all that's going to happen is me use. Like, that was the commitment. Oh, yeah. And oh, is, yeah. isn't it so crazy? Like, I, I've been going over stories from back then, and I was eating benzos by the handful, too. And I cannot find a memory. Like, you can find, like, a little piece of a memory, and you know this, this, and this happened, but you can't see it it's like crazy that that like how like what was your benzo intake like in that period dude it was insane like insane i mean i well benzos and then also the other big one for me was like ghb did you ever get into ghb i never did ghb 
Man, we're like, you talk about like, you know, like I, I like to call it like time traveling, you know, like when you do a certain amount of benzos and like next thing you know, you're like, hey, it's like it's Wednesday, right? And fools are like, no, it's Sunday. You know, and like you don't know like where the week has gone or like how you got to a different city or how this, you, this just how, you know, like, or why you're being like, why you're seeing a, like why you're, you're arrested until you see the judge and your charges are read to you. You know, it was like that kind of thing. But with like GHB, it's like, it's a lot scarier because you just like you have this little liquid and like you drink it you drink a capsule you know and it's like you drink a cap like a cap of like a of like a water bottle full of it and the next thing you know like you're fucking coming to in a fucking on um, in a hospital you know and you're like and there's absolutely no recollection of what happened in between you know like you could have killed somebody and there's no like it's, it's even like a level crazier than that's why i guess they use it for like as a date rape thing you know and like or they use it as like a you know like I understand how, and I one I once had a girl be like, "Did you did you like use a G? Did you like give me GHB?" And I was like, "Dude, I would never waste GHB on <laughs> you. Like, I don't, if I had some, I would be the one that would be taking it. Like, right. don't get it twisted." Right. She's like, "Well, yeah. what, what?" She was you woke up and you're like, "I'm not going to give you my GHB. Don't worry." Yeah. But but she was uh, in that situation. What happened? Like why was she just like wishful thinking that you would give her GHB or like like what what had happened that she even thought that you would give her GHB? Like I think that's well, we met okay we met at Coachella and then we like you know she had like her friends with her and she was this French model and like we hooked up and it was so cool and I ditched all my friends I was like I hate you guys I would do this thing where I would like get in my head that I don't like anybody and I don't want to like I don't want any of my friends and now I'm gonna like be friends with these people I met her and these like weird Burning Man like cool like artsy type of people they were all like very like tone and like perfect fucking they had like these perfect outfits and they had this van like this cool old van that had a unicorn fucking mural like airbrushed on the side of it and i just ended up getting in with them and like driving back to la and leaving all my stuff and all my friends and they all thought i like i died and like <laughs> you know I, I would do this thing and i came back with her and we were like partying and she slept over at my house which i still had at the house at the time and uh and we ate we, we like ate like molly that night and we went to the show and then like we'd already been hooking up for like three days or four days at this point you know and uh and then she woke up and she was like did you give me GHB last night? Like, is that what was in the water? Like, when we were, and I'm like, what the fuck are you talking? Like, it was so insane, you know. Where I was like, no, we we were already like hooking up, you know. It was so bananas. And how how long did the GHB, or was it just a period of just GHB benzos, meth, like whatever, like that stuff to offset? It was kind of that stuff to offset, you know, definitely. I mean, you asked me a thing where you asked me like what my benzo intake was, you know, and it would be anywhere from. Fuck, I mean, anywhere from two milligrams to eight, ten milligrams of Klonopin or uh, or uh, Xanax or Adamant, like whatever it was, like, you know, like it was like it didn't it, like it would always start with me like being like, I'm only going to take a quarter of a Zanny bar, just one quarter, you know, and, and then I'll be good. And then do a little math and like always trying to figure out that perfect formula, you know, and then like next thing I know, I'm waking up and I'm like peed myself and I'm in a cop car and I'm like. Oh boy! I got the, the ratio did not work out. It did not work out. Did you have a lot of seizures from it or no? No, I didn't have. I mean, I had a thing where like I had a thing where I was it, like 
and it might have been from the benzos now and i never thought of it until you literally just mentioned this where like i had a period where i would like when i was I, I was doing meth at the time and this was when i was younger before i like stopped that thing you know and i was i was doing benzos but i would take um when i would smoke weed like when i would like take a big bong rip i would start seizing it like i would start seizing up and i would kind of like pass out and come to you know and i didn't and i didn't until right now think that you know that that might have been a symptom of all the benzos that i was doing i i used to like take benzos all day i mean i think benzos like for my own like neuroses like benzos were like the perfect drug like i loved heroin i loved benzos and i loved weed those were my kind of my world but i all i always had so many benzos like I was always like eating a ton of benzos. I would buy them downtown for like a dollar a pill or whatever when I was in LA. Um, and um, whenever I would stop, I would seize. I would, and I would. I, I mean, I had seizures all over the place. I had seizures all over LA. I had. Se- I never had a job, but I had to do community service, and I would seize on the community service jobs. And it was like it was crazy. Um, so I always had too much of that stuff. Um, I turned up in, in detox, and the guy who would sell me the benzos was my roommate. He was my he was in the next bed next to me. Um, but um, what was I going to say? When did it start being like I got to get out of this for you? Like when did it change? Oh man, those last few years, like it was. I don't know. Like I, I started selling dope at that, at the end a little bit, you know, like it was obviously like I thought I needed to get out of it when I first started going to meetings. And when I first started going like to like NA or whatever, and I would like dry up for a little bit and I would like be okay. And then I, that whole thing would be like, I'm just going to smoke a little ganja, you know, like there was a period I remember where I was going to meetings and like, I, I would go to this round Robin meeting, like where, you know, like where you had to share and like the entire time, like as it got closer and closer and closer to me, I would just get like sweatier and sweatier and sweatier and like and then i went home one day and i was like wait you know what i gotta do is i gotta pop a little klonopin like just a half of like a <laughs> so i can share one. well so i can share well you know <laughs> and i did and i took it and like and then i shared like you know like it was like the timer's going off and i'm still going and i'm feeling so spiritual and i got this thing figured out and now ever you know like dude just an insanity of this thing you know so there was like nine years of like an in and out thing for me where i would like come in put together a little time like maybe 30 60 i think i got 90 days one time and i'd be back out and uh i my dad passed away i was homeless i was i got a lot i got arrested a lot you know and like but i always had this thing where like something was always looking out for me you know like something you know like now i'm cool with calling a god you know before i'd be like it's the universe or what you know like now it's what I, you know i know that it was like i just call it god because it's fucking easier and it's like you know i don't have to explain myself uh but I, you know, like I would get these like charges, like I, you know, I would get arrested with like stuff where like one time I got busted with like a lot of meth and a lot of dope and a scale and baggies and like, and I was like still making the edible stuff or trying to get back into it. So I had like 10 pounds of trim on me. I'm homeless. I'm sleeping on a roof. I have 10 pounds of trim, a half ounce of meth, an ounce of uh, like a 10, 12 grams of dope bags and a scale and i get arrested you know with all of it and like a needle like you know like i just did two shots and i get arrested and uh and you know intend to distribute the whole the whole fucking nine yards and i'm like fuck this is serious like shit just got real finally you know i think i had like a little knife on me and um and I get my public defender, you know, and thank God for the public defender's office. Like, man, I used to, we used to call them the public pretenders and like talk shit about them, you know? And this guy's like, so you got all this stuff. He goes, why did they think you were selling it? And I'm like, 
what do you mean? Like, why do you think I have a scale? I have Maggie's, I have dope, I have meth. I have, you know, he goes, how much money did you have on you? And I just re-upped. Dave, I literally just re-upped the night before and I didn't see anybody else and I had like 73 cents to my fucking name, you know? And I was like, I had 73 cents. He goes, how the fuck are you intending to distribute, you know, if you only have 73 cents? Yeah, drug you know? dealers are supposed to have money. That, that's what yeah, he goes, exactly. amazing. Yeah. So your poverty, your extreme drug addictness <laughs> saved you, basically. Oh, yeah. I got a DA reject. Dude, I got a DA. The only one I've ever gotten was on that fucking, was on that thing. Wait, explain that to me. So a DA reject is like when they try to file and then they bring it up and then they look at the evidence, like they look at the evidence against you and they see it and it's like not worth them filing anymore, you know? So I got the initial charge. I spent whatever the weekend in before I got the judge. I was in court and you're sitting there and you're basically waiting and waiting and waiting to see the judge in the courthouse jail. Like you're not no longer in like regular jail, you're in court jail. And they call the people and then they call that the morning people and they call the afternoon people. And if you make it to a certain point, like around four o'clock, if you don't get called, that's the last fucking person getting called. You're like, oh my God, I think I am Charlie and I just got the fucking golden ticket, you know? I think I just got it. And if you don't, then that means the DA isn't filing your case, you know, and it gets thrown out. Was it was it basically though because you didn't have money that he he proved it? Like Oh yeah. That's incredible. I mean, that is like yeah. total. See, and I, I am one of these people, like, I believe in God, and I, I don't mind calling it God, but I still would say it's the universe because it's like, because oh, yeah. my father hates God so much. So it's very hard for me to say God on <laughs> Dopey for whatever reason. But God saved your fucking ass, and so did the fucking uh, the pretender or whatever. The, the, oh, yeah. I mean, it's amazing. What did you call it? Oh, it's yeah. the, the, what is the, the thing, the pretend what? The public pretender. The public pretender saved your fucking ass. Yeah, the public pretender's office. And what did they give you for that? Dude, nothing. I got, there was no charge. Like, I got released. I didn't get any of my drugs back, you know? Like, I didn't get, like, I remember being, like, like going to get my property and being, like, maybe they'll give me my weed because I have my fucking medical thing, you know? They didn't give me anything back. But I did have a sharps container. And in the sharps container, I guess I had, like, a half a shot that, like, got, you know, that, like, got, like, what's it, quag, coagulated? Coagulated, yeah. Yeah, coagulated, you know? And I had, like, a half of a good shot. And it, since it was in the sharps container, they gave me back my sharps container. I opened it up, and I saw that, and I was like... And, and it's funny, because when, you know, when you're sitting there and you get those charges and you get, like, there's this, you know, I have this God moment where I'm like, oh, my God, there's something that got me out of this yet again. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave here. I'm going to go to my mom's house. I'm going to go to a meeting. I'm going to get the help that I've been talking about getting. And then I see that half a fucking shot. And I go, I'll do that right after I do this. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. I mean, there's no, I mean, like just the fact that you didn't get anything, not even a disorderly conduct charge, nothing. That's the craziest thing I think I've ever heard. And then they give you back needles. They're like, here's yeah. your needle. That's in, and then you have a shot. It's crazy. And you were yeah. probably, were you sick when you got it back? Oh, yeah. It's like oh, yeah. There was no way you couldn't take that, that half shot. There's no way. No. There's no way. And after you took the half shot, was it back to business or was it like, I'm done, this means something? Oh, no, something. oh, it's on. It's, it's on and popping, you know? It's on and popping and I'm back, you know, and I'm back and I'm doing, and I'm feeling myself again. You know, I remember calling my friend to pick me up and he was like, he got me and he was like, dude, he's like, you know what it is? He's like, 
it's all your clothes. It's your clothes that got bad juju. So like we went and we took all the clothes that I was wearing and like we burned them all. We started a fire and like we had a rich, we like hit the pookie, you know, and he was like, all right, he's like, what it is is it's that dope. Like you can't do heroin anymore. We're just going to smoke meth and like then you'll be good. And I had like all this oversight because he was like a gangster dude, you know, so I had all of his clothes. So I'm wearing like a like a 2XL pro club, like bas- XL basketball shorts, Air Maxes, you know, like not me, like not how I dress at all, you know? And like we went, we had this ritual where we burned my bad juju clothes and then I just smoked meth for like three months and like, you know, and like all things considered, like I did a lot better than I did when I was, you know, <laughs> he, was like, right. strung up. he wasn't wrong, you know? Dude, this is like a really crazy story. Like, it's really like next, 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 <laughs> next level. So, like, you're fucking smoking meth with the with the oversized clothes guy. Are you? You're still taking benzos though, because you can't. Be, oh yeah, yeah. You oh, can't absolutely. So absolutely. So you you give up. You take heroin out of the equation, and is kicking difficult with the with the meth and the benzos, or the meth and benzos and just covering it up. The meth and Ben, when you do enough meth, it somehow takes away from the, you know, from the dope sickness. But the fucked up part is that you got to keep doing meth, you know? <laughs> you just now, like, you switch one out for the other, you know? Now I'm on meth, and now I'm doing benzos, and at some point, and I was still selling dope, which was really crazy, because I was, like, selling. I had heroin on me all the time, and, like, but now I actually have money because I'm not strung out, and I'm not constantly, like, needing to get well, which is also a crazy concept, and, uh, then what ends up happening is I meet a girl and I'm helping her move and she's doing dope and we're hooking up and it's fucking awesome and passionate and this whole thing. And, uh, and I was like, I wanted to smoke a little heroin. I'm not going to shoot her. I'm going to smoke a little. And she's like, no, you've been clean. You know, she's like, you've been clean for 90 days or whatever, you know, we're still smoking meth. And like, she walked out of the room and I was like naked in her bed. And I remember like seeing the foil and seeing the tutor and seeing the lighter. And I picked it up and I hit it and she walked back in and I'm laying there naked. And she looks at the thing and she was like, fuck, I guess we're doing this again. You know? Right. Right. Crazy. This is a mm-hmm. fucking very, very, very intense story of serious, serious debauchery. I, it's no wonder you guys started this podcast. It's all <laughs> serious business. So like, and then oh, yeah. you're in that junky love state with this chick that, that great. I mean, it's like, let me ask you this because all of your stories like have that great sweet spot of that passion, a ton of drugs. Like it seems like it's like, who are you selling dope to? And like, where would you get huge? Every bag I of heroin I ever got in LA. And I'm not proud of this. Every bag I got was downtown, like off some, out of some dude's mouth. Like I, the most mm-hmm. I would get was like 30 at a time. Like, where would you get quantity? It started with like, you know, like I, I met a dude and I would like get a little more from him so I could support my own habit. You know, like it was like really good. And I would be like, all right, if I buy three grams instead of a 40, then I can sell to my little Titan circle of friends, you know, and then I could and then I could get high for free. And then just like I had that same friend, that that solo dude, who was the same friend that I started smoking meth with, who's also now sober. And he's like, dude, it's such a trip, you know, uh, he uh he started selling like a lot of meth and then he was like, yo, like he would just kind of start fronting me stuff. He's like, Hey, what, what do you want? Like I'll front it to you. You sell it and then you get me back. I don't know why he trusted me, you know? And I somehow was like pretty good at always paying him on time. And I think I would bring him so much money that even if I like didn't, like if I did it, you know, he'd be like, Oh, whatever that's, you know? 
that's just Danny. He fucked it. Like, it'll be fine. He'll make up for it, you know? And then me and him started selling dope together, and that's where it was, like, a lot, you know, like, the numbers increased, the, you know, like, the, like, we would just be going nonstop. Like, we would... He'd be driving, I'd be in the, you know, I'd be answering the phone and we would just be like chasing the next, because like we would be chasing the next bag, trying to get rid of what we have to get the next better batch, to get the next better batch, to get the next better batch, to get the next better batch. And how did you guys get a clientele? His whole thing was, he was like, okay, well, everybody's selling grams for like $80. Let's sell them for 60. And I'm like, wait, but then you're not going to make money. He goes, yeah, I am. You know, he's like, oh, fuck it. And then it just went from like, he just took over all of he was Hollywood, a genius. like <laughs> he was he yeah. was he was yeah. a genius that's amazing yeah he was a genius yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but you both you both got strung out um so when did it when did it go when did it get all bad like when was when did it it couldn't go any further Dude, it couldn't go any further where i had this moment where like i always thought that if i had like this stuff then i would be okay you know like where i was like if i get a car and if i have a girlfriend and if i have a roof over my head and like this like hunter s thompson briefcase of drugs then i'll be okay with me and then i'll be able to navigate and then i'll be chill and i had a roof over my head like it wasn't my house you know and i didn't have a girlfriend but there was this girl that i was like hanging out with that wasn't even into dudes but i told everybody she was my girlfriend you know and uh and i was like living at her place and i had this like stolen fucking 83 mercedes 300d and i had all the drugs that were being fronted to me and i'd never and i had like a I'd heard of these things before, but I'd never felt it until that moment. I had like a spiritual bottom where I was just like, whoa, like I feel empty, you know? And, uh, that girlfriend that I got, uh, that girlfriend that, that shot up with the dude that had the orgasm, this shoot up orgasm. I told her that I was going to go into treatment, you know, cause we had a, we had one friend that like got sober and was working at this treatment center. And then I told another like super dirty homeless junkie friend of mine that I was going to hit up this friend and go into treatment. And both of them actually reached out to him and they got into like, you know, they both got into like detox and were both in residential and they both called me in a week and they were like, Hey, are you going to actually like, you know, do this or not? And I was like, fuck if fucking if Sasha could do this shit and if fucking silk, you know, like silk is like the notorious homeless junkie tagger, you know, like every, like he's like the dude, you like the lowest of lowest companions, you know, like you can't call him lower. He's like the, the, the lowest companion. companion, the lowest companion. I was like, if he could fucking do this, if he could put together 60 days, maybe I have a chance, you know? And and I did and like you know and I did and I got into um, uh, and I got into uh, what's it called Um, uh, I got into that place you know I got a bed there and that's where the whole documentary thing like started you know Um, I think I have have a bunch of questions and I know this went this went way longer than I expected it to so I apologize if I've kept you too long can you survive this I can survive it yep okay oh yeah so the questions are number one I, I love that you had everything and that was the spiritual bottom. Like, I think that's fascinating because everybody gets nothing and they get quote unquote sick and tired of sick and tired, but you had everything and, and felt like you had nothing. Like, I think mm-hmm. that's like really profound. That never happens. Like, do you ever oh, hear yeah. a story like that where you have everything and then, and you couldn't handle not being satisfied with everything that you had? Most people just keep going. And you were like, uh, like that's, I think that's really interesting. Yeah. 
You know, like it's, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever, you know, I mean, I it's like I hear about people that like these like celebrities and, you know, like what are like, you know, like L.A. like recovery is a little weird, you know, or like you meet people that like but something has to go in. wrong for them. They're not oh, yeah. just fucking. And what's in the briefcase? Like what? Like, do you have the briefcase? And is there anything like do you have the ether? Like what do you have everything from like is the briefcase like with peyote and mescaline and all this stuff? Is it that kind of level? Popper. Poppers, GHB, 2CI, mushrooms, Molly, 2CB, dope, some like some China white, you know, quote unquote, you know. Sure. (laughs) Uh, I don't know what crazy kind of benzos, acid. I mean, it was it was a kid, you know, different kind of waxes and hashes and keeps and oils and I mean, it was fucking bananas, you know. And you had weird like, please. Like weird stuff, like you know, we have these like these benzos from Thailand called Happy Fives that like this dude sold me ten of them. You know, I mean, just like stuff that was fucking like like the the best ecstasy that you could find on pill reports. You know, like shit, like it was insane. You know. So explain though, like, because I think this is interesting because I've never heard this before. And I mean, how often do you hear a story like that? You're around. I mean, I'm around a lot of stories, but I don't work in treatment. You know what I mean? How do you hear stories that parallel that ever? Fuck, I, I mean, come to think of it, no. You know, usually it's the opposite. It's when that briefcase is empty. Right. That's when you can, you know. Well, it's like when you run out and then you run out again and then you run out again and you get tired of disappointing everybody and you get tired of being without. And it's like you're fucking living as high on the hog as possible and yet mm. still inside you felt that fucking misery. So what is, mm. describe the soul sickness of, of almost having everything and having nothing. Oh man. It was like, you know, I, I was, I was selling dope at the time and I was selling a lot of dope. And it's like, when you're dealing with, you know, like when you're dealing with junkies, like, I, like, I don't, like, I don't know if people really know. And like, you're dealing with tweakers. Like I, I've, I've said this before. It's like, if I was a business owner and this was like my storefront and these were the people that would show up where it's like, Hey, can I get a 20? Hey, can I get a 40? And they show up and they have like 17 cents and they have like 13, 24, you know, all in fucking pennies, you know, you would be like, if this, if I was a business owner and this was like my, my fucking clientele, I would burn the fucking store to the ground, like Jewish lightning style and like move as far away with insurance money that I would, you know? And I think it really takes a toll on you. And I think dealing with that, I think the fact that like, you know, just like, like I remember going to my mom's house on that, you know, I got sober July 9th, 2015. And I remember going to my mom's house that Christmas, you know, and showing up to my mom's house and she would always let me in on like Christmas or New Year's or whatever holiday it was. And I would like have a couch to crash on and she would give me 20 bucks and like, you know, and I could eat and I could like see my family and maybe take a shower, like do that whole thing, you know? And uh, I remember showing up and her looking through the peephole and saying, hey, I got a plate for you. And I was like, what? What do you mean? You know, she's like, sorry, you're not coming in. And she brought out a plate for me, like a little paper plate, like a nicer, like paper plate, like the, the heavy cardboard ones. You really, know? Yeah, yeah, the good, <laughs> good, the good disposable china. And it was yeah. a nice plate, you know, like, and uh, she said, hey, I love you, but I can't. And like, she had never went to Al-Anon. She had never like, you know, I don't know where the fuck this came from, you know, but like, thank God for that moment. Because I remember like, getting back on and that Christmas I spent 
living on the metro bus where I would like I got on the, the bus and I would take it from one from Santa Monica to downtown the number four and then you get kicked off at the end of the line they go hey end of the line you know and you get off and then you walk across the street to the other bus stop and then you do it back and it's like an hour and 20 minutes each direction so you could maybe like if you catch a good nod maybe you could like you know get your chin in your chest for long enough to take a little nap like a little dopey nap you know each direction but had you had you lost the Mercedes and everything at that point like had it no dude oh no dude i had the fucking mercedes you know i had the i had the mercedes it was just like the insanity of this disease like with me you know i'd get the paranoia where i can't be driving and whatever you know it was just like i would get into it with like the girl that lived there and like some other thing you know i wouldn't want to be there like when that day i got picked in the detox i had literally that whole setup i told you i had it all there i had it i like remember like giving it out to whoever was there and finding a thing of gh this glow in the dark ghb i had that i like took a swig full of and like you know and I had the car I had to make amends for that stolen fucking Mercedes Benz when I had a year of fucking sobriety I had to like find the owner and reach out to him and he was like dude he's like I got insurance on that thing fucking four years ago like fuck I'm good you know and then I had to figure out how to get a towed out of the woman whose house I was living at out of her backyard because she couldn't park in her own driveway for fucking years it was just you know there was a lot of wreckage and a lot of cleaning up that had to be done it's amazing. I, I got clean a month after you did. So we, we, we have basically around the same amount of time. And uh, that's interesting in itself. Um, when you, uh, how did you find out about the documentary? So the dude, so my friend, Chris Collins, who uh, he was working at Community Recovery, CRLA, which was that treatment center that Chris Batham, you know, the guy that got busted for, you know, for getting high with the clients and for just like, you know, the no, sexual allegations. No, I don't know the story, but anyway, keep going. Oh, man, it was the biggest insurance fraud case in the state of California, you know, was his treatment center. He would be billing people for stuff that didn't, that wasn't being done. He was billing people that had passed away, like clients that like left treatment and died. He was still billing their insurance. Like he was out of his mind, you know, but I got scholarship into there because I agreed to do this documentary called Loaded which was like basically the way they explained it to me was like how intervention gets you to the door of the treatment center and then it's done you know this was gonna like be my last day getting loaded and then pick up when i got into treatment and like my life my journey into recovery so i had like a little handy cam while i was in detox i had like a you know like they would come and check in on me and do like little interviews like we would we would go do stuff they would like follow up and see how i was doing it was a whole thing you're you know? like and doing I, like like dope sick confessionals on the real world for this load dude, shit? literally yeah okay. i'm sitting there like <laughs> oh man it's day four i think it's just i just took the, my first shit in seven months or whatever right. <laughs> and you have the footage dude i just found it i literally just found it what are you gonna do with it I don't know, because now the guy's busted, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, fuck, it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool to see. It's, like, edited kind of weird and, like, raw, you know, but I don't know. That's incredible. I, I And so, yeah. and how did you, like, did you know when you got there? Like, what made it stick? Like, had you, what was the most time you had before then? 60 days, maybe. 90, I think, once, you know, but I think I was already, like, you know, I think even the time that I say I had 90, I think I started smoking a little ganj when I had, like, 60 days. You know, I was like, I'm going to celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> what, what made it stick? 
Dude, the night before I went into that treatment center, I was like driving around in that stolen Mercedes and I like went to the needle exchange. I went in on a Monday, Sunday, we have our like little Hollywood like needle exchange and I got a bunch of clean needles and they didn't have the little water tubes, you know, like the little mini like single use water. So I pulled up to this little like driveway and I remember like filling up the, the cooker with a little bit with water from like somebody's fucking hose. And I sat there in the car, and as I was doing this, I remember thinking to myself, like, whoa, I think this is the last time I'm ever going to do this, you know? And I don't know where that came from. And it was, like, this weird thing I had where I was, like, like, word. Like, and that's okay, you know? And I was okay with it. And I came in, and I think I was just so broken and i think i was just like so willing to do whatever you know like i was like all right let's you know let's do it and for the first time ever i like i came in and i finally got us that thing that i was like that dude needs a sponsor i was like all right fucking sponsor let's do this you know and i went through the steps and i like i don't i fell in love with the program you know i fell in love with alcoholics anonymous i saw that thing that like people i heard share about and i was like they're full of shit you know and like i saw it and i witnessed it and i felt just a little bit of it and i was like oh this is pretty cool and i was like i kind of want to see where this takes me you know totally it's it's exactly the way you describe the drugs you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it's like it's it's that same thing and all you fell in love with it and then you you also found all the people like you're so yeah. like you're so invested out there. Like I talked to to DJ about it, and you're always doing service. You're you're chairing meetings. You're you're working in treatment. Like you you have a community. You do a podcast about it. It's like so everything probably the only thing that you don't get is to get high. You know what I mean? Like I think I think that's like I heard I heard somebody share that at a meeting, and it just really stuck with me. Like they like to do all these things, but they also like to, to drink. It was like an AA meeting, and and they all they could do was drink and not do all those things but you can do everything else besides the one thing or you can't do anything and like look at you man like what a crazy story and like you seem like you're having a beautiful life is your life good now dude it's so good it's so good the, the podcast like is all bad. No, like, I can't, like, I can't, I, I wake up and, like, and, like, on paper, you know, it's not that tight. You know, I fucking totaled my car last month, you know, so, like, whatever. I'm borrowing a friend's car right now. Like, not, you know, I'm fine. Like, no, you know, I'm just an idiot. Like, whatever, you know, like, I'm, like, I'm not, like, I checked my bank account this morning, you know, and it was, like, for the first time in four years, it was, like, negative, you know, and I was, like, whoa. And I'm, like, and I didn't panic and I didn't trip out about it. I was, like, fuck, that's cool, too. Like, you know, I got to, like, I just came back from a vacation. That's why my fucking account like is where it's at right now, you know. And, and my rent is paid. My all my you know all my bills are paid. My phone's not getting turned off. Like, and I get to show up, you know. I get to show up. Like my grandma is ninety six years old, you know, and like she lives on her own. Her son died. Her husband died, you know. Like her other son lives back. He moved back to Kiev fucking fifteen years ago, you know. So I'm the closest thing she has to a son, and like. I get to show up to for this woman and hang out with her like once a week and sit around and like pick up whatever food she wants to eat and hear her tell me about like what bad decisions I'm making in life today and how I shouldn't be chasing the girls and the girls should be chasing me and whatever. <laughs> and like I get to show up, man, and the gift the the value in that is worth more than anything else I could have ever asked for, you know? You're like grandma, I used to have a briefcase full of drugs and now I'm helping people. I think it's going okay. Um it's amazing. It's amazing. Um and you're making, I mean, like, the only bad thing is that you're making a dopey-esque podcast. But I have to, I have to support that. And I know that this, sto- this 
I mean, your story is going to rock the Dopey Nation's minds. So you'll get some some dopey dopey folk over at It's All Bad, and uh, and I'm happy for that. And I mean, like, I mean, I'm just like a little bit. You know, I live in self-centered fear, but I know like what you're doing is amazing. You know what I mean? Like, and I and I totally support what you guys do, and like you understand what I'm saying. I'm like crazy. You know how that goes? Yeah, yeah. Dude, I get it. I get it. You know, and it's funny because uh, so I remember. Uh, I remember, like, you know, it was like when I first found out about Dopey. You know, like I remember it was when uh, when Harold did that. It was like Harold and my buddy Justin designed the. The Snow White thing, you know, right? Was that what it was? Yeah. Yeah. And I remember seeing that, and I remember being like, "God damn it, Harry!" You know, like Harold, you're supposed to be my friend. <laughs> you know, and like so I get it because I fucking go to that same place. You know, the funniest it's so thing, funny. The funniest thing about that is that you know we know people in common, which shouldn't be funny. But Harold, I met that first time when I told you about writing the love letter to to Weed. That was at treatment with Harold in South Florida. <laughs> He's oh, a man. classic figure. It. Yes, me too. Dude, Danny, thank well, you so much for your time. It went way longer, but it went way crazier than I expected also. So thank you very dude, much. Dude, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And we, yeah, dude, yeah, I just appreciate you. I appreciate everything you do to Dopey Nation. It's like you guys are you guys are doing it, you know, and it's cool. Like, I think the value that we do, that we have in doing this and, like, and for people to be able to hear these stories and the stuff that we've gone through and that our guests have gone through and, like, to be like, whoa, like, you know, like, I have people, you know, and I'm sure you do too, like dudes that will like, that don't know where to reach out to, you know, and we give them that outlet we get, you know, and it's like, and they get to like, and you know, I'm a fucking open book. Anybody wants my fucking phone number, I'll, you know, I'll fucking, I'll post it on whatever. Like, you know, like motherfuckers could hit me up anytime, you know, and I'm here, like, I'm here for it. If I can, if at the end of the day, if, if like what I'm doing can help somebody and we can have some laughs doing it, I'll keep fucking doing this as long as, you know. So many people are scared. Like so many people aren't, at that desperate place they don't they don't know what they need and something like it's all bad or dopey is like the easier softer way where they're like holy shit these people are having a good time and they seem clean and they seem like they've been through something and they're they like are drawn to it and like i mean i take messages all day and uh and I love it. And I love being able to like help people in any way. But I, I really love doing the show though. You know what I mean? Like I don't, yeah. I, like I make, and I know you guys do too. And it's like, I, it's fun. You know what I mean? It's fun. Mm-hmm. Like we deserve to have fun. Like we deserve yeah. to be able to do whatever the fuck we want. And um, as long as, I mean, we can, I mean, like that's what I say at meetings all the time. You can get high if you want to. You're just not going to mm-hmm. be able to do everything else that you want. You know, it's just, it doesn't work out like that. Um, yeah, I love that. Uh, I might have to steal that. I might have to steal that from you too. <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying, but that's like the bottom line. No, like, I know. Do whatever yeah. the fuck you it's want, so but true. it's like it's probably not going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. anyway, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a joy to have you. Finally, it's all bad. Dopey Summit. Thank you. All right, dude. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I thought Russian Danny's story was pretty fucking crazy. That was wild. Have you ever heard a story end? When you're full of drugs and money and cars and women and shit. It kind of didn't make sense. I'm like, why is this ending? I mean, I understood it, but it's also like, how is this the way it ended rather than rock bottom? Well, it was a spiritual rock bottom. It was funny because yeah. I asked Ray, I, uh, I said, Ray, what did you think of the show? And he's like, I wanted to hear more about the homoerotic play going on in Runyon Canyon. 
Yeah, why did he just, he's just like, I found out my friends weren't inviting me because they were like jerking each other off. I'm like, talk more about this. It's like rewind. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. I re- I'm like, what? Did I, I, did I miss something? Um, <laughs> I, I did rewind. And Russian Danny is a beautiful man. In fact, he, he, he like put the Kavorka on me. I, I was like hypnotized by his, his Russian L.A. hipster beauty. Fucking, that's what you were saying. Yeah, he, he put the whammy on me. I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. Um, <laughs> wow, wow, wow. But I did. I mean, he you makes Matthew, he makes Matthew Wiedemeyer Carroll look like a dog. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> this Russian Danny's on some next fucking shit. Um, but I really, really found that story to be fucking pretty wild, right? And, and the thing of like, how did I survive this, you know, just by the grace of God? I'm like... I don't know. How do any of us survive this? And you said the same thing. You was like, I don't want to call it God, but that was a miracle that you survived that. He should not have. <sighs> well, there's no should or shouldn't. And like, I think that before Todd and Chris died, I just figured most people do survive. I know I've said it a million times, but I think it's worth saying is that before, I mean, like before everybody around Dopey started dying, I didn't have any deaths. So like that's kind of I think if I had all the deaths around me I don't think I would have been able to make Dopey in the first place like it wouldn't have occurred to me to make it in the first place because it wasn't wasn't funny if, if your friends had died when you were in their twenties I mean I go over this all the time but like I remember it so well uh, when this guy Dave Marshall died and Dave Marshall was like you would have like come in your pants when you saw this guy beautiful guy you know like just handsome and like just inside and out wonderful person set up the dopey fucking podcast facebook group whatever and i remember i was like probably looking at dopey stats and chris texted me dave marshall died and like i swear to god my whole world ended when i saw that i was i could not believe it and like why why wouldn't we all die so like you're right it is a miracle that Russian Danny could have done the stuff that he talked about and uh, and lived through it, and the guys on his show, the same thing, and us, the same thing, and everybody in the Dopey Nation that lays down that crazy fucking Dopey, same thing. Um, but and I, it also I, sounds like he was dealing with some very heavy heavy criminals, like scary criminals. Yeah, I think it's all bad. Is a is a a lot of jail stuff. You know, so if you guys want to hear some real criminality, go check out It's All Bad, uh, where your iTunes are playing. Uh, and now I'm going to change uh, the topic from heavy criminality to heavy weather and suburban living for all the Dopey Nation fans out there. <laughs> um, and basically, we, we got this fucking winter storm, you know, and, uh, and I, I'm like learning to be a human being out here. And it's fascinating, you know, growing up in the city, I never had to shovel any driveways. And, uh, and we got like a fucking foot and a half, two feet of snow. And the last time we had a snowstorm, I was like sequestered in the attic. And I think, I think Linda shoveled, uh, her parents' driveway and she shoveled our driveway. Oh my God. It was, she didn't really do anything. She just shoveled, she just shoveled a little bit. And then, and then another time there was a snowstorm, and and the neighbors shoveled. They didn't shovel; they got a snowblower. And Wait, they, you've lived out there for quite a while at this point. 
I've never shoveled anything really. <laughs> so, so the neighbors like came over to Linda's parents' house with a, with a snowblower and did it up. And Linda's mom was so happy. And Linda kind of like, she didn't tell me that I was a bad son-in-law, but I could feel that I was a bad son-in-law. So like when I got up in the morning, I was like, fuck it. I'm going to, I'm going to shovel our driveway. You know, is what I was thinking. And in the back of my head, it's like, I should go shovel their driveway too. But I shovel our driveway, I shovel the path, and I'm thinking, like, this is good. And it, it kind of felt satisfying. And I shovel out the car, and I was like, okay, I'm going to drive to the hardware store. I'm going to buy a thing of salt. I'm going to buy gloves, and I'm going to go to their house, and I'm going to give them salt. Then I buy Linda a gift because I got into a big fight with Linda before I left. I buy Linda a gift. I buy Nora a gift. I, and I, when I buy them, I buy... Linda, there's a guy in town who's a clammer, right? Yeah. And uh, and he makes clothes that say clam power. And it's a clam with a fist in the air, like black power, but it's clam yeah. power. And uh, and I have a clam power shirt, and I buy Linda a clam power tank top. And, and they, there's a guy out here who makes strong island clothes. And, yeah. and Nora always wanted a Strong Island hoodie. So I buy her a camouflage Strong Island hoodie, and I nice. buy Linda a Clam Power tank top, and I buy Susan a rubber Triceratops. And, and then I buy, <laughs> and I buy two things of fucking salt, and I buy these heavy, warm gloves, and I'm like, I'm the fucking best person in the world. Everybody's going to love me. This is great. And I go over to, uh, to Linda's mom's house, and she's totally snowed in. And yeah, that's a long driveway. It's a long driveway. It's a, a broad driveway. Yeah. And it had been snowing for like a day and a half, and no one had been there. And all the neighbors are like perfectly plowed. And I'm like, couldn't they have come over and helped out? It's like, <laughs> couldn't they see that a job needed to get done? You should probably look into getting a snowblower. I don't know how much they are, but it would be good for you. I think you're right. Um. Anyway... And, I, and I'm like, kind of like spitting into my hands and I'm like, I got work to do. And I'm like, there's a job that needs to be done and I'm going to do that job. And, uh, and I take out the shovel. Real American hero. I, <laughs> I put the shovel over my shoulder and I just start looking at the house, looking around. It's just, hoping, hoping the neighbors are looking out their windows. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody sees me and thinks I need some help is what I'm thinking. And, uh, and I'm staring at the house, and I'm and the snow is lightly falling, and I'm like, all right. And I put my headphones on, and I start listening to music, and I start shoveling the snow, and I'm like, holy shit, you know. And and I start like, and I start thinking about programming stuff. And my first thought about program is, you know, one step at a time. You know, like got to do one shovel at a time. Yeah, one one shovel. If after I, you know, one little bit at a time, and in in the time it takes, the shovel will the the driveway will get clean, the steps will get clean. A little easy does it, little bit at a time. And then I'm like, fuck this. I'm like, I'm like, why isn't Linda here shoveling the driveway? <laughs> it's her parents. It's her. It's not even my parents. I'm like, they're not my parents. Her mother takes cookies from us. She doesn't bring stuff. And I'm like, oh. after the after the tenth shovel, it gets really hard. Well, then I start thinking about everybody else. I'm like, all the tough guys in the town. They think they're so tough because they're always shoveling the driveways and they don't complain about it. And I'm getting pissed at them. Then I start thinking about Matthew Wiedemeyer Carroll and 
all the driveways he's probably shoveled and what a man. Well, they he, have plows on the front of their pickup trucks. Right, right. And, and then and then five pickup trucks go by with plows. And I'm, I'm thinking, I stop. I put the <laughs> shovel over my shoulder again. I'm hoping they stop. They don't stop. Then I'm like, you know, maybe I'll listen. Mark Marin had uh, David Duchovny from the X-Files on this week. And I was like, yeah. maybe I'll listen to Marin interview David Duchovny. And then I'm like, no, fuck that. Fuck Marin. He doesn't have to shovel anything. He, you know what I mean? I'm just like these motherfuckers. He's, he's picking lemons off his lemon tree. <laughs> yeah. He's fucking picking lemons off his lemon tree. And like, and I'm, I'm this, and then nobody, nobody's going to reward me. I'm not going to get a prize. And like, I'm so good and, and I'm not going to get recognized. And then I'm like, I'm like halfway up the driveway, just fueled by hate, you know, run, <laughs> run by resentment and hate. And I'm like, I know that this would be much better if I was run by love and a higher power. And part of me was run by love. You know what I mean? And I'm like, I, you know, I do love Linda's parents. I do love, you know, our family. This is a good thing I'm doing. And every time like love came in, hate was like, Get out of here. <laughs> he feels better when he's angry doing this, you know? And uh, and then I ran up to the house because, like, I kind of wanted the approval. So, like, I did half of it. And then I go to the house and I start shoveling off the, the, the front porch and kicking the snow off. And it's very icy. And I take the, the salt and I start pouring the salt out. And it's fucking icy. And it'll come out. So then I start really grinding the ice out, <laughs> and then and then I dig the car out, and then Sue comes out and she goes, "Dave, you shouldn't have done that." And I was like, "I know, Sue. I'm just, I just, <laughs> I had to get it done. Somebody had to do it, and I knew that I had to do it." And she's Dave like, to the rescue. And she's like, "Oh, can I get you a cup of coffee or something?" And I'm like, "No, Sue. I have to get back home." Take care of to the my, kids. To my kids. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then she's like, you really shouldn't have done it. And I was like, I was like, well, I bought you some salt because it's supposed to snow next week, too. And she goes, okay, see you then, then. Just for the dopey, dopey listeners, Sue does not sound like that. <laughs> she does. She's like, come on, have a nice cup of coffee. Cup of coffee before you go. Fucking... So that was my, so I shoveled the driveway and, and I, and I wanted the prize, you know, and I wanted uh recognition. And you sort of got it. I got it from Sue. That was as yeah. far as it went. Um, you didn't get it from Linda. I didn't get it from Linda. No. Um, she goes, what do you want a prize? The Rileys did it last week. Do you think they got a prize? Um, fucking. And, and, it, and I'm doing the, the cats customer service stuff again. And, like, yeah. one thing that, like, boggles my mind is, like, every time I take an order, I have to ask somebody for a credit card. You yeah. know? I'm going to need your credit card number now. And all I'm thinking is, like, they're giving me their, their credit yes. card. You know? And I've taken <laughs> buy, all the, You can buy heroin with this. <laughs> and everyone on the phone is, like, I hear there's a, there's a, a split second where they're, like, they're like, well, I've ordered before. Don't you have the card number? And I'm like, that's what I would say. And I say, we don't save card numbers, ma'am. Um, and we don't. But it's just like a funny thing, like to be yeah. trusted with information. And I had a woman today and she ordered a Taste of New York package, right? Yeah. And the Taste of New York package, you get a choice of bagels, right? And I said, all right, lady, you get a choice of bagels. Do you want plain 
poppy, sesame, or everything. And she goes, oh, my goodness, I, how can I decide? And I just thought that was funny. It made me, everything. It made, the you, answer is everything. But everything, an everything bagel is good for a rookie. Or it's good for, like, a Floridian who thinks he's a New Yorker or something. <laughs> but the, the thing about the everything bagel is it takes away the beauty that is the sesame seed or the poppy I like, seed. I like poppy, sesame, or, and then everything. Or onion. The onion is the true New Yorker's first choice. I've become a genteel toasted sesame with butter type person. Which is a delicious toast. That's bagel. me. Yeah, I like that. I haven't had that in a long time. I got a a note from somebody for you, and it said, yeah. "Hey, Dave, tell Ray to stop sixty nine cops. They need to do their jobs." <laughs> they did not they, say that. I swear to God. <laughs> you know, I told you I did not sixty nine the cop, and then I remembered. Oh, right. Oh, we did sixty nine. <laughs> you did sixty nine the cop. Yeah, the I forgot we did. <laughs> That's awesome. That's the, be- that's the best news I've had all day. And then also, um, I heard you were also going out and 69ing other frontline workers. Is that true? No, that's not true. Okay. It's um, not true. And then also, we got a voicemail from somebody. when we, Remember we put out the word uh, wanting to find out how people hustled for heroin? Yeah, I hear these people like, I had a $300 day habit and I was homeless. I'm like, how do you pay for that? Well, here is a voicemail. You want to hear it? Yeah. Hey, what's up, Dave? Dopey Nation, Ray, what's going on? It's just listening to um, one of the episodes. It's a few episodes back. I'm a little behind. But you were talking about, or Ray was talking about, like, $300 a day habits and um, how people hustle that up in a day. And I just thought I would chime in a little bit. So I'm originally from Michigan, uh, Pontiac. And I moved down here when I, to Alabama when I was a kid. This is Adam from Alabama. Um, and so I got strung out, and, like, the cops were – it was pretty hot around here, so I left. And I went back to Michigan. Well, I got up to Michigan, and I immediately um, – immediately started looking for my cousin because I knew he'd know, you know, all the, where everything's at. So he lived in the heart of Pontiac, which is pretty, can be pretty hood at times. Um, so I move in with him and the hustle I came up with. So what I was doing, I was going around to Lowe's and Home Depot's all around Pontiac, Detroit, Sterling Heights, Rochester, all around I'd even go out to Ann Arbor if I had to. And uh, I'd go in, it was wintertime, and I would feel like, you know, I'd have on a couple layer of pants, and I would, like, tape the bottom of the pants of one pair of pants, like, shut. <clears throat> and I would stuff my pants full of uh, pipe parts, like copper fittings and brass fittings and anything that was, you know three to four to five dollars and I'd go around to a few Lowe's doing that and come out to the car empty out and at that time I mean I think you can still do it but I I would you can only do it three times without a receipt so I'd go in with my license and I mean it would be like a six hundred dollar Lowe's card and then I had a guy that was in construction and he would buy the $600 Lowe's card for $300. 
And then I would go get, you know, a bundle and some uh, some crack or some coke and, you know, uh, melt it, you know, cut it down with lemon juice or whatever and shoot my coke and my crack and then I would do a bunch of heroin for the rest of the night. And then I'd wake up and do that shit again. Man, I did that for like six months and, you know, I'd get to where I'd just stop and pick up like crackheads on the side of the road and you know, hey, I'll throw you a, a 50 rock if you do you have a license, you know, if, if you got an ID, I'll throw you a 50 rock to use your license. And they'd bring my card out and I'd throw them a 50 rock. So anyways, that's uh that was my little hustle in Michigan. Um everybody stay strong. Uh toodles for Chris. That's our friend Adam and um you know, it never fails to amaze me to hear all the different voices from the Dopey Nation, and I love to hear your hustling pipe for dope and crack story, and I love that you answered Ray's very direct question. Although we all know that Ray is really only interested in street hustling uh, with, gu- with straight guys getting blown by gay men. That's the stories that Ray wants, just so we're now, all clear. I, I knew about that boosting thing where you steal something and then... You take it back and you turn it back in without a receipt. But how do you do that successfully every day? And that's, I mean, I know it can be done, but, and I know you're not successful every day, but this guy made, sounded like he made it work every day. Fair um, enough. He had a track record. He had a successful track record. And Ray, I had a, a thought yesterday. It was possibly the deepest thought I've ever had. Would you like to hear yeah. it? I'd like to hear the deepest thought you've ever had. Well, okay. I was, I was, um, is it, if I'm not at home, I'm out walking around. No, it's way deeper than that. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Um, okay. I'm going to tell the whole story and, uh, and we're going to end the show after this story and I'm going to play. Good. Okay. You've had enough of this show. No, it's late. I want to go to bed. First of all, I want to tell you this story. I'm going to, I'm going to tell a bunch of stories. I'm going to, I'm going to go nuts right now. Wait, um, how long are these stories? I don't know. Pretty long. There's the guy, right? Russian Danny, you know, like, and that's some Los Angeles shit. And it reminded me of when I lived in Los Angeles, right? And this reminded me, we, we had a conversation and it made me think of this. And uh, I would go to my methadone clinic, probably with a lot of characters like Russian Danny, you know what I mean? And I, and I was on um Russian, uh, it's all bad podcast. And we were talking about the methadone clinic I used to go to in Echo Park called Beverly Bart. And, um, and there was this kid that would go to the methadone clinic there. And he was like a good looking kid. He looked like a rock star. You know what I mean? He had like straight brown hair and he had like the koi fish fucking tattoo sleeves. And like, <laughs> yeah. and like, and he was like a really sweet guy, but he was a fucked up junkie and he walked with a cane and stuff. And, um, and we became friends, and uh, and he would come over, and we would jam in Echo Park, and we would we'd get dope, and we'd get pills, and we would jam in Echo Park. He told me a crazy street hustling story where he had to blow a guy for a bunch of dope or something or other, and I was like, I was like, whoa, that's that's pretty that's pretty wild, you know. And then he took me back to his apartment in uh, in Hollywood, and he was living with his girlfriend, and he showed me a picture of himself. And he was a great guitar player. And we like yeah. played on the streets and we were playing all my songs. And I was like, dude, this guy's like fucking Izzy Stradlin or something. This guy's going to be my side man, you know? <laughs> and there was a picture of him 
in a band wearing one of those leather pilot hats. You know that like oh, yeah. like metal heads wear, and I was like, yes. I'm like, I'm done with this guy. As soon as I saw the picture, I was like, I can't have anything to do with this fucking guy. It's like, isn't that funny though? I don't know why. Like, it's, it's funny when you see something from somebody's past, and it just changes your perception of them current day. You're just like, nope, I can't do it. The leather, the leather <laughs> pilot hat. I'm like, can't do. It. And he was amazing, and he was such a sweet kid. And him blowing the dude for the dope didn't bother me, but the leather. The leather pilot that was just too much for me. Um, anyway, so that's not the story, the profound story. The profound story was when I moved back from Los Angeles, you know, I, had to, I lived at my friend Jim's mother's house. Wait, is this, when, is this when the cat got loose at the airport and your pants fell down? Yeah, I think I told that story. <laughs> but no, no, but I, I, me and my girlfriend had broken up and I, and I moved to Jim's mother's house. And then my parents had a friend who who they leave a cat in the apartment and they go to Florida and they needed somebody to stay in the apartment. And I stayed there and they had an iMac and I learned how to use GarageBand on their iMac and I wrote two songs. And one of the songs was called People Watching and the other song was called Trouble World. And, uh, and I had never, I, I, I loved both of those songs. Those were the last two songs I ever wrote. And Trouble World got lost with all of the lost episodes on my old computer. And, uh, and I think about it literally every day. And I'm like, yo, if I ever find this song, it's like the best song I ever did. You know, like, I don't know. I have grandiose thinking around the song. And then it popped into my head that I had texted a friend of mine or I emailed a friend of mine in, you know, 2009, that song. And I called him up and he found it. And he sent me the song, and uh, and he loved the song, and you, Ray, you enjoyed the song, um, and I liked the song. But me and my friend Justin were talking about this other friend of ours who's like really depressed. Okay, and yeah. and I was saying how you know, and, and this is a convoluted way to get to the profound thought. But I was saying to him how like if we only spoke to this guy every day, we could make him feel better. Uh, if we talk to him every day and, and, and Justin was like, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, the reason we could make him feel better is because we can remind him of who he was when he was happy. And what, yeah. and what that made me realize is that friends have a piece of each other inside them, you know, and it's like, oh. and it's like, it's just like when someone says, when you lose somebody, they stay with you. Right. And that's true. Yeah. But even better is if you have a friend who's really depressed, you can remind them of what they were like when they weren't, and they can find themselves in right, you. Right, it's like a reboot. Exactly. That's a, that's a profound thought. Isn't that a very beautiful thought? Yeah. And when you were at your lowest, don't you think I, I was carrying the nice, <laughs> nice shards of the soul of Ray to remind you of who you... Snap out of it! Right? <laughs> I think of the, there was like seven people involved in that that were like on the phone with me every day. And I think of them every day. And, and I try to be in contact with a lot of people every day, especially during the pandemic. And I walk a fine line between like, are they annoyed? Like, oh, Ray Brown is texting me again. Or are they happy? I try to like, you know, play it by ear. But I like to talk to people every day, all of my friends. You never text me. You so rarely text I never, me. I never text you because 
you have a very busy, structured life, and you text me when you are free. I just call you. Or call me, yeah. I call you. I, I, yeah, we don't text. And, and, and recently I saw you posted that it was a year ago that the bottom fell out. Yep. So, I mean, I think that's pretty amazing. It's been a hell it of a year. It, if it was perceived as like one year sober, that's not true. But it was one year ago that I went down the, uh, the off the off the skids. It's funny. And how, Dave was Dave was with me all during that. Well, so was the and so was the dopey nation. I mean, you came onto the show and you bared your heart. Dopey nation just starting, yeah. But mainly my friends in Ireland. But how about this profundity? This thought that you have that's, a piece of each other. We all have yeah, a piece of each other inside true. of us. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that. I mean, I've heard things like that, but I've never heard it. I've never heard it worded like that, which is is a great way to say it. Well, you know, they're not dropping profound nuggets like that on "It's All Bad." It's just walls, war stories over there, wall to wall. It's right? all yeah. It's all bad sucks. Hey, 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 hey! They're going <laughs> to listen to the show. We don't. I have never listened to "It's All Bad." Well, you listen to It's All Bad and you can make a retraction on the next episode okay. of Dopey. But uh, I'm going to leave you guys with uh, my song. Um, oh, good. Trouble? Trouble World. It ends abruptly. It ends badly. It's really good. And then it's like, boop, it's over. <laughs> it starts really good. And then it, it doesn't end as strongly as it starts. Ray Brown, would you like to take us out? And and I mastered it last night. And you masturbated right after you mastered. I mastered. It. I did not masturbate. <laughs> I mastered the song and sent it to you. My dad thinks I oversexualize you too, which is a shame. I'm very sexual. It's easy to oversexualize me. I swear to God, I hit pause on the fucking thing, and he's like, "Actually, I fucked the cop doggy style." It's like, yeah, I didn't mean that to go on the air. <laughs> anyway. Um, you want to take us out before we play Trouble World, Mr. Ray? Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Fucking toodles for Chris. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking uh, toodles for Chris. Um, and here's Trouble World. I'm gonna give up. I'll call it quits. I might as well just bleed out my wrists before it's over. Before I go. It's under siege There's pirates out on the heavy seas But when I'm with you aboard my rocket canoe I have exactly just what I need If you hope lightning strikes Somebody that you just don't like Or you want the All I ever
wanna take a ride up in the sky Watch this airplane just pass me by And I wanna see a Lear jetliner take a dive Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive But I wanna be good so bad Wanna be so good, so bad, so bad I wanna be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And my shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand Shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand City far behind. I'll take the high road, however far it winds, because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find. And I wanna be good so bad. Wanna be good so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had. Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And these suckers make me mad And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had 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 And these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had